Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Side Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and this is episode 52. Riv is stuck in traffic so we'll see if he comes to the show later on or if he doesn't. Either way, we're still doing the podcast. And in this episode, we're going to talk about Justin Herbert tying the rookie touchdown record, Kyler Murray versus Jalen Hurts, the Dolphins and the Pats game, if the Bills can make the Super Bowl, and if the Jets ultimately cost themselves the number one pick. Then we'll transition and talk about Corey Davis's breakout year, our NFC East prediction, and how confident we are in the Saints, the Steelers play calling, and we're also going to talk about the players who got snubbed from the Pro Bowl. And as always, we'll finish it off with NFL Pick'em Week 16 and our power rankings for Week Week 16. So before we start, Jack, I guess you can just talk to the audience a little bit and tell them where you've been, how you're feeling, recovering, or just being in quarantine, and how's everything been as I go and hit the record button on the camera. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm just happy to be back, you know. I, I've missed probably, I think, the last three live episodes, so it was tough. You know, I wanted to be here. I was in the chat, but unfortunately, um, my mom pet tested positive for COVID-19, so we had to take the proper precautions. My whole family quarantined for 14 days. Luckily, everybody's okay. My mom is feeling better, and, you know, we we got through the 14-day quarantine, so, you know, bl- we're blessed for sure. Happy to be back here, back recording. I missed it, but you know I'm just blessed and happy to be back. And happy to have you back. I'm I'm sure the audience feels the same way. We're finally back in the studio for this episode. Later on tonight, it's the NBA regular season opening, the Warriors and the Nets. But we're not going to talk about the NBA today. We're going to talk about football. And if we record tomorrow, we'll probably talk about the NBA tomorrow. But we're going to get right into it. Justin Herbert, rookie this year, and he's just, he's an amazing company right now. He tied the rookie touchdown record with 27 touchdowns. He passed Andrew Luck's um, rookie record when he, because he's thrown 300 plus passing yards seven times already. And I mean, this guy looked phenomenal against the Raiders. I know the Chargers, Anthony Lynn only called like one passing play for him in the whole fourth quarter, but Regardless, Justin Herbert led a game-winning drive, and they won in overtime. And I guess we'll just talk a little bit about Justin Herbert accomplishing this rare feat. Yeah, he's been incredibly incredibly impressive. And you look back at the draft, and even last year when he was projected to come out and people were talking about him going to the Giants, I know that I myself, I wasn't too high on him because when you looked at his tape at Oregon, you know, he showed flashes of greatness, but then he also showed there were some plays that raised some major red flags, and it was concerning, you know, thinking what would translate to the next level. But it just goes to show that the system that he was in in Oregon was not very conducive to the player that he was, and now you see him coming into the NFL, and even though his record hasn't reflected, he's having an incredible season, and he showed all the tools to be not only a franchise quarterback, but a future top-five quarterback in the league. And speaking towards that win-loss total, a lot of people have held it against him, but you compare him and Tua, and while Tua has had more success in the win column, Justin Herbert's defense has been one of the worst in the league. His play calling has not been great all season long, and his playmakers offensively have been on and off the field with injuries all year. His offensive line has been patchwork all season long. So 
I can't wait to see how his career progresses because he's showing all the signs early on of being an absolute stud and the Chargers got a steal. I believe they got him at six, right? Right at after six. two at yep. five. So, And I agree completely with what you said. I mean, when you talk about Justin Herbert, he's a prime example of somebody who had all the physical tools, but teams were very hesitant on taking him because his tape wasn't very good. The same thing happened with Josh Allen. And I think that that can kind of show teams that, okay, even if a player doesn't doesn't show that he's the most polished player in college, even if he has a physical attribute, you should take a chance on him if you believe in your coaching staff that much. Because um, Justin Herbert, he doesn't have the greatest coaching staff but it's good enough. You know, they haven't, they're not good situationally, but Anthony Lynn is a good motivator. Pep Hamilton, we talked about him as a quarterback's coach. So that should raise a flag to a lot of teams that, hey, maybe we shouldn't go out for a guy like Justin Fields, who's the most productive in the class, you know, outside of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Or maybe we should take a chance on a Trey Lance that's 6'4 and he fills out all the physical attributes, but he just doesn't have the best tape out of all the other guys. I mean, Justin Herbert was phenomenal against the Raiders. I mean, he had 314 yards, three total touchdowns, 121 quarterback rating, and a game-winning drive. And for the year, he has 3,781 passing yards, 27 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, a 96.3 quarterback rating, 68.6 QBR. So this guy has kept the Chargers in nearly every single game. And after losing a Hall of Fame quarterback in Phillip Rivers in, in free agency, they drafted Justin Herbert. Tyrod's supposed to fill that void. Tyrod gets hurt. And the Chargers really haven't missed a beat, even though yeah. they lost a Hall of Famer in Phillip Rivers. Yeah, and I would not ex- I would not be surprised at all to see them be a playoff team next year. I mm-hmm. don't think they're that far away. I know they're a 4-9 and nine team, I think, at this point, or 5-9 and nine team at this point in the season. But with that being said, you look at what they have on this roster, and they have been... Hurt in a bunch of ways this year, but the talent that they have is not one of their deficiencies. They've had a lot of great players dealing with injuries this season yep. that they're going to hopefully get back healthy next year. Hopefully they're going to clear house this offseason, get a new coaching staff in there, and if they can do that and stay healthy next season, there's no reason they can't be a playoff team with Justin Herbert at the helm. And I totally agree, and we'll talk about the Raiders game just a little bit. I mean, it was a very weird um, a range of events. I mean, you have Marcus Mariota come in, and he looks like the second overall pick that he once yeah. was. Then you have Badgley missing two field goals, one for three, and this guy is one of the most inconsistent kickers in the league. I think he's missed the most field goals in the NFL. Chris Harris Jr., right when you think the Raiders are going to go and score, he gets that interception, and it was just total chaos. I, I think that game was just about which team wanted to lose more. It felt yeah. like no team was really trying to win. Yeah, and that was actually... One of the best games that Marcus Mariota has played in the league since being drafted. So, although it might have seemed like, you know, Derek Carr gets injured and they're bringing in the backup, it's a give me for the Chargers. Marcus Mariota played really well, in my opinion, mm-hmm. for just stepping on the field, not having thrown a ball in two seasons as a as a starting quarterback in the league. He he played really well and he gave Justin Herbert all that he could handle. It's not like this was a rollover win for the Chargers and Herbert drove them down the field in overtime with no problem. I mean, we look at uh, what I wanted to talk about is that a lot of when, when we compare the rookie quarterbacks, what I've been hearing when they compare Tua and Herbert or whoever else, right now it's really Tua and Herbert. They talk about 
Herbert's receivers. But frankly, even when Keenan Allen or Mike Williams aren't healthy, I mean, this guy against the Raiders was throwing to Tyron Johnson and Jalen yeah. Guyton, and they were balling. Yeah. And he targets a lot of guys outside of Williams and Allen, and he still makes them look better than they are. So that arguing about, like, who has a better, who has better receivers or who doesn't, I don't think it holds up because we've seen Justin Herbert maximize receivers that nobody really knows. And, and it just comes down to watching the tape. When you watch these guys play, Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa, I still think that those two guys can be great quarterbacks, especially Joe Burrow. I think the Bengals found their guy in Joe Burrow, but mm. Justin Herbert has popped off the tape. There's there's no other way of looking at he's it. The, the best throws that he's made have been far and away better than what those other two guys have shown. And that's not an indictment of, you know, who's going to be the best player. There's a lot of time to determine that. But just based on what we've seen in their rookie season, Justin Herbert has made plays far better than what we've seen out of Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. He's much better down the field, making big-time throws. And, yes, that's led to a little, a, a few more mistakes, but you can accept that in, a, in an offense where you need to score to win football games. It's not like Tua where the defense has been so good. They can afford to keep him on a leash in that playbook and play conservatively and still win football games. And Joe Burrow, you know, I, I feel like they still kind of held him back a little bit this year. And I don't know if he's able to make those throws yet. I still think he has some growth left in him. But Justin Herbert has come out of the gates firing. They have not held back at all with him. And he has led this team, you know, they, they've lost the most one-score games in football, mm-hmm. so he's kept them in every game despite how bad the defense has been. So just a quick question. How many touchdowns do you think Justin Herbert finishes? Or this is a better question. Do you think Justin Herbert finishes with 30 touchdowns, 30 passing touchdowns this season? Yeah, he's a 27 He has 27. Right he faces the Broncos, who are a pretty good defense, and then the Chiefs. I think he de- I I 100% think he does. I think he does too. He I think might he'll get finish. it next week. I think he'll finish with 30 plus touchdowns too. Because even if he so. doesn't get it next week, the Chiefs, while their defense is good, their offense is so high powered and they should score on the Chargers at will. Mm-hmm. So Justin Herbert's going to be on the field a decent amount. So I can definitely find see him finding three touchdowns somewhere within the next two weeks. Yeah, I agree. And if you guys are watching right now, comment whether you think Herbert will finish with 30-plus touchdowns or not. Next topic, we're going to talk about another rookie and a second-year player, Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts. They faced off the Arizona Cardinals and the Philadelphia Eagles. The Cardinals won that game. It was a very close game. I believe the score, it was a one-score game, right? The final score was, what was it again? Eagles versus Cardinals. 33-26? 33-26? Yeah. I think it was that, too. Let me check. Just to double check. Yeah, 33 to 26. And when you watch this game, you look at two quarterbacks that play similarly that are dual threat quarterbacks in Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray. And it's the question who do you think played better out of those two? Well, I'll start by saying both of these quarterbacks, I think, played incredible games. I think they were both very impressive. And I think that if you ask me who I was impressed with more, I would say I'm more impressed by Jalen Hurts because I was I was impressed by him last week against the Saints. Yeah. But coming out a second week, the Cardinals had a whole week to prepare for him. They knew he was coming. They're not a terrible defensive unit. They're not a great defensive unit, but they're they're a, a formidable defense. 
to come out with a week of preparation. Jalen Hurts, a guy who's had so many question marks about if his game will translate. He came out, and not only did he play well, but he was making throws that nobody thought he could make at the NFL level. Like, he was making plays, and also he just elevates that entire Eagles offense. The last two weeks, they've had two of the best rushing performances of the entire season. And just the way he gets out of the pocket. I know he was sacked six times yesterday, but if it was Carson Wentz, it might have been 12. Because the way he gets out of the pocket and makes plays, it's plays that Carson Wentz wouldn't make because he doesn't attempt to extend the play the way Jalen Hurts does. And he did it last week and did it again this week. So I was more impressed by Jalen Hurts, but Kyler Murray had the better game. And that's just because Kyler Murray is on a different level right now. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Made the Pro Bowl. And and this was the best game that he had all season long in my eyes. Like he was legitimately making winning plays that you won't see from a lot of quarterbacks in this league. And it's just Kyler Murray is at a, at a different level right now than Jalen Hurts. So I think he had the better game. I think this was a great Kyler game, but I think his best game this season was the Seattle one. Uh, that's fair. That's I fair. think his best game was the Seattle one, but... I mean, you can't go wrong with either one. I, I agree with you. Look, I'm not taking away anything from Kyler because Kyler was phenomenal in this game. DeAndre Hopkins had 169 yards receiving, I think. Kyler threw to 10 different receivers. Yeah, three of those are... DeAndre Hopkins had four catches. Three of those catches accounted for 75% of the yards. Yeah, but Jalen Hurts, I'm, I'm extremely impressed with how he's been. I made a segment a couple weeks ago talking about how Nobody should give up on Carson Wentz, and I don't think they should. You know, I think Carson Wentz can still be a good quarterback, and I'm banking on him to be a good quarterback still, but I think it's time with Philadelphia is done. This is the second time where Carson Wentz has kind of been revoked from his quarterback position in Philadelphia. The first time happened with Nick Foles when Foles won a Super Bowl. The whole locker room looked at Foles as a leader. They gravitated towards him. They liked him more. Yes, Wentz was more talented, but the player and the quarterback that fit the Eagles the most was Nick Foles. They decided to stick with Wentz still. They traded Foles. Now you look at this situation with Hurts and Wentz. They draft Hurts. Wentz now feels like a quarterback's looking over his shoulder. So now what does Wentz do? He tries to play too much hero ball. He leads the league in turnovers. What this showed me about Wentz is that Wentz can't handle the pressure of having somebody sit behind him waiting for him basically to mess up for him to have his shot. We've seen Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Okay, you drafted Jordan Love. I'm going to have my best yeah. season yet. Carson Wentz, oh, you drafted Jalen Hurts? Now my now my ego, my confidence is stricken, and I don't, I don't feel confident in myself because now you don't believe in me. He needs to go into a situation where the team wholeheartedly believes in him for him to be successful. But enough of Wentz. Talking about Hurts, I mean, this guy was phenomenal. He made a ton of NFL-level throws, tight window throws throughout the game. They didn't have a turnover. He fumbled three times, but he didn't lose yeah. either of them. But Jalen Hurts has been so good to start. Like, I knew Hurts was good, but I didn't think he was this good. Right now, he's looking superstar-level good. And when you talk about this quarterback class, I'll, I'll go more in-depth in this when we talk about the Tua segment. But this quarterback class is awesome. They've all come poised and confident and ready to go, even though there is no offseason. Look at Burrow, Herbert, Tua, and Jalen Hurts. They all look really good, and they haven't even gotten that many reps yet. Like, honestly, this is Jalen Hurts' 
second game that he started, and he didn't even have preseason games to get game reps in. So this is his second game in the NFL, basically. Yeah, and and you're talking no preseason, no OTAs, nothing mm-hmm. like that. So this is his first NFL action. But to speak to your point about Carson Wentz a little bit, I, I was listening to the ESPN the other day, and Dan Orlovsky, I believe it was, said what I think is the most telling point in this whole dilemma as a quarterback in the NFL, you need to walk into that huddle every Sunday and have the 10 guys that are on the field with you have confidence in you that you have confidence in yourself. You're going to come out, be the guy to make the plays to win the football game. And you need that to be a quarterback in the NFL. And I think this season, Carson Wentz did not have that at all. And especially mm-hmm. now seeing Jalen Hurts come in, the guy is a born leader. You saw what he yeah. did at Alabama, getting replaced by Tua, having him win the championship, and who's the first guy there to celebrate with him? Jalen Hurts. And then he goes to Oklahoma, he balls out there. Any situation you put him in, he thrives. He's just a born leader. So for him to come in, play as well as he had after the Nick Foles situation earlier in his career, it's going to be very difficult in Philadelphia to come back and recover from that. But like you said, I still think Carson Wentz has the potential to be a great quarterback in the league, at least be a starting caliber quarterback in the league, but he needs a fresh slate. I kind of see it like a Sam Darnold situation, although Wentz has shown much more that he can be successful, but in order for him to be successful, he needs a fresh start. And he said it, if he's not the starting the starting quarterback next season, he wants out, which I get it, but there's no way the Eagles can move on from Jalen or can can go back to Carson Wentz after what Jalen Hurts has shown them and shown this football team in two games. The best two games they've looked all season have mm-hmm. been the last two weeks with Jalen Hurts. It's exciting and it's because the offense can be opened up so much more. You can run zone reads, you can run more RPOs. Jalen Hurts is more of a playmaker in terms of getting out of the pocket. And we talk like Alshon Jeffrey had his best game all season against the Cardinals when Jalen Hurts was there. And that's because Jalen Hurts was giving him opportunities for 50-50 balls. And I think the best thing that gets overlooked that Jalen Hurts is doing is that he's playing within the offense. Carson Wentz tried to do too much. He cost them points. He When they were in field goal territory, he turned the ball over. He cost them a lot of times. Jalen Hurts is just doing what he has to do to keep the drive alive, and I think that's what's most important for the Eagles right now. And like you said, I just don't see any way where Carson Wentz is starting – or plays another starting snap for the Eagles anymore. It I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and I'm not sitting here saying Jalen Hurts has been perfect because he certainly hasn't. He had a couple plays yesterday, or I'm sorry, now two days ago, where you know you kind of looked at it and you're like, "Ooh, hold on a second. Like that safety was a really, you know, that was a rookie mistake." And he had a couple of those throughout the day. He had that fumble late that of course he ends up recovering and turning it into a positive. But there were some things that he needs polishing on. But the fact that he's come out and looked this good in a situation where the guy who you thought was your franchise looked so bad for the start of the season, you got to feel good about it. And now you're going into an offseason where you're going to have a pretty solid draft pick. You know, you can build on this. You'll hopefully get healthy, which has been one of their biggest issues this year. And you're playing in a division where nobody's looked great this season. There's a lot of question marks this offseason. You know, who's going to take that next step next year? Are the Cowboys going to bring back Dak? If they don't, who's going to be their quarterback? Do the Giants have their guy in Daniel Jones? The Washington football team has a hole at quarterback. So there's so much up in the air. The Eagles have a window here where maybe Jalen Hurts is the guy. 
And all that flack they caught this offseason for wasting a second-round pick on him, maybe it was the best decision they ever could have made because had they not taken him right now, they'd have Carson Wentz a quarterback paying him $30 million a year for the next three seasons, and they would have no answer. You you said it. The Giants and Washington have a hole, but no way they trade Wentz to Washington or New York. No, they shouldn't. No, no. way. No, and that's not what I was implying. I was saying... There are so many question marks with the other teams in the division that the Eagles really have a chance here. If Jalen Hurts is their guy, they can run this division for the next three years. Yeah. You know, who knows? It's anybody's division at this point. And you talk about Hurts' leadership. He reminds me of Dak Prescott in terms of his leadership. Jalen Hurts is a born leader, and I think that's what gives him the edge to keep this starting job And because I think the locker room has already rallied behind him. I think they're already on board with Jalen Hurts, and they're moving on with him. They see that he's better, he's a better fit than Carson Wentz. And it's tough because Carson Wentz has a talent, but he just isn't a leader. And I think, when, especially when you play the quarterback position, that's one of the most important things to have. Yeah, You can't be a timid guy at quarterback in the NFL. Every quarterback in the NFL, if you ask them who the best quarterback in the NFL is, they better say themselves. Like That's the confidence that you need to have if you're playing the position. And I think that Jalen Hurts brings a a good balance of, you know, he will do whatever it takes for the team to win, but he still thinks that he's the best in the room at the end of the day. And you saw it in college. I mentioned it before. He gets benched for Tua because it was best for the team. And he would still have done anything Alabama needed to win the football game. If they needed him at receiver, he would have done it. But then the next season, he says, okay, I still feel like I can be the guy for a national championship team. He goes to Oklahoma, and look at that. They're in the college football playoff again, and although they end up losing, you know, he had an incredible season. So he is that guy. He has the confidence to be that guy. And, you know, I do wonder, dual-threat quarterbacks who are better with their legs have proven, you know, even Lamar Jackson, who won an MVP award, has now been slowed down this year. So after getting some tape on him, can he really – you know, elevate with that arm and become a thrower because you need to be a thrower in the NFL as much as yeah, dual you threat need to guys, be a throw first quarterback that can exactly run. exactly as much as dual threat guys are the new wave of quarterbacks in the league. You need to be able to throw the football. There's no question about it. And like you said, he's made some Sunday throws these past two weeks, and I've been really impressed and I'm excited to watch him moving forward. Another quarterback we're about to talk about is Tua Tagovailoa. <laughs> They faced the Patriots, and they beat the Patriots. And look, before we get into this segment, I know that a lot of Dolphins fans that have watched these videos and they see me, they automatically click dislike because they think I'm a Tua hater. I'm not a Tua hater. I never said Tua was going to be a bad quarterback or a bust. I just said he wasn't going to be a superstar quarterback. And if you guys want to hate me for that, you can hate me for that. But I stand firm on what I've said. Dolphins beat the Patriots 22-12, to and this video is about me giving Tua credit. Because, I mean, I think he played really well. 77% completion rate, 20 for 26, 145 yards. He had that one interception early. The thing that, and he had two rushing touchdowns, what impressed me most about Tua this game is that after you make that first mistake, what do you do after that? Do you, do you make more mistakes? Do you allow yourself to be fooled by Bill Belichick's defense? And he didn't. I mean, I, I think Tua was just straight up cerebral and surgical in that game in terms of 
finding the holes in the zone, exploiting that defense, and just moving the chains. I think what Tua has done great so far into his rookie campaign is that he just moves the chains. Does he give you those big explosive plays? He doesn't, but he just moves the chains. He could have had one last week to to, uh, Grant, and he dropped it. But Tua just moves the chains. And I'd rather have a guy like that that moves the chains than somebody who just makes spectacular plays all the time, but they're once in a blue moon. I think Tua played really well against the Patriots, and I think he's one of the, like, only or few quarterbacks as a rookie to beat a Bill Belichick defense, even though, let's be fair, that running game did lead them to that win. Yeah. Let's be fair. Ahmed was amazing. Matt Breida chipped in. I mean, they had 200 yards rushing, and I actually did a, I actually did some research on that. Teams that have rushed for 200 yards have a 88% win percentage, and that was an article written in 2009, so it's probably higher now. Wow. Or just about the same, but basically you are guaranteed to win if you rush for 200 yards. Yeah, I'll start by giving him credit for, like you said, beating a Bill Belichick defense because that's never easy to do. And I think that's been proven this year, even though the Patriots, I would say, are not a good team this season. They've they're an average team. They've been in more games than they probably should have been because that defense is always going to be solid behind Bill Belichick. So for him to come out, I mentioned before when we were talking about Justin Herbert. You watch the tape. Justin Herbert is that guy making the eye-popping throws. Like yep. You really see that arm talent and the potential to be great. The thing for Tua, he might not be making those arm-popping throws or those eye-popping throws. He hasn't had that spectacular arm to this point in his career yet from what we've seen. But what he's done is, like you mentioned, picked apart defense. He's not trying to do too much. He knows what he has to do, and he does it well. He's not making mistakes he's not he's not forcing anything he doesn't have to and he knows he's playing with a great defense so he doesn't have to do too much Mm -hmm. and I think that is you know it's indicative of the type of player he is like he knows what he has to do to win football games and he's going to do that he's a high football IQ guy and for for me that's been perfect for the Dolphins this season that defense has been so good that He's done just what they needed him to do. This this past week, the running game was working. Hand it off and let the running game work. And mm-hmm. and I mean that's not a bad thing. I mean to yeah. beat the Patriots, you don't the, the game plan is not to have two or throw 40 times and have him make a make a bunch of mistakes against the Patriots. It's to if this running game is going, let's feed off both. Let's exactly. feed off the passing game and the running game. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a quarterback that can just move chains. That's what Drew Brees has done his in his, his entire career, and he's one of the greatest of all time, and that's Tua's comp. You know, yeah. Tua is a very accurate thrower of the football. And another thing I want to give him credit for is that these receivers he was throwing to aren't aren't notable. Yeah. I mean, you have Lynn Bowden Jr., who was cut by the Raiders or traded one of those two. He was a high draft pick, a third-round draft pick, and the Raiders said we didn't want him. Mac Hollins, who was on the Eagles last year, this guy named Smythe and Isaiah Ford. Mike Gesicki and Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, and Grant didn't even play. Yeah, You know, just imagine what Tua can do if you have Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Grant, Mike Gesicki. They can be a really dangerous offense. And then you see in this upcoming draft, if they draft the receiver, they have a, a top pick from the Texans. You can draft one of the Heisman runner-ups, Devontae Smith from Alabama, or Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase. Yeah, and now you get a really great wide receiver room to surround with Tua. So I think Tua is in a really great position to succeed. 
And like I said, do I do I see him like do I see a season where he puts up top five quarterback numbers? If the Dolphins build around him like this, I totally see it. But do I think he's gonna be better than guys like Mahomes or or Watson or or Desh- or uh, or Lamar? That's or that's Tyler. a whole different conversation. You know, like that's a different conversation. But I think that Tua is definitely their quarterback. But I just I just don't think that he'll be better than Herbert. That's all I've said. And Dolphins fans get mad at it, but that's all I've said. I just don't think he'll be better than Herbert. I, I do think you've been a little bit unfair <laughs> to Tua early on. And, you know, I think the most integral part of his career moving forward is that he's going to be part of this Dolphins organization that seem like they actually have it figured out. They have a really nice front office who did a great job this offseason. They brought in Brian Flores, who's got to be a coach of the year nominee. Um, and they Him and Kevin Stefanski yeah, should win it. Yeah, they have, I believe, the seventh or eighth most money coming into this offseason. Yep. Like you said, they have two first-round picks. The one is going to be a top-ten pick. And they have a lot of good young talent already on the team. So this is going to be a team that, while they're having a great season, is going to continue to grow and build around him, and he's going to be able to grow and build with them. So, yep. you know, this this is the perfect place for him to have landed. And if he had landed in a spot like the Bengals or, you know, so, somewhere that doesn't have as stable as a foundation right now or the Jaguars – you know, I wouldn't feel as confident saying I think he can be a great NFL quarterback, but with the situation he's been put in, he'll be in a great situation. Yeah, he, I I really would feel good saying I think he can be a great NFL quarterback. I mean, quarterback. Be- before we move on to the next segment, I mean, I also want to give a huge shout out to their offensive line. Yeah, like this is a team that had one of the worst offensive lines. They go out to get Ted Karras. They also get Eric Flowers. I believe, and I believe yesterday they had three rookies playing. They starting Julian Davenport. Robert Hunt and Austin Jackson. And these guys pushed around that Patriots defensive line. Like Robert Hunt looks good. Austin Jackson looks good as well. And Julian Davenport didn't look too bad. I mean, the Dolphins have a lot of things going for them. They have an offensive line who's young, who looks like they're going to be really good. A bunch of draft capital receivers that are hurt right now, a pro bowl level tight end in Gasicki, a, a top defense in the NFL and with that draft capital and with that cap space, they can look like a really great team moving forward. I think the AFC East is going to be either them or the Bills for the next couple of years. They're yeah. going to be fighting for that top spot. And the Patriots also have the one of the most cap spaces in the NFL as well. So depending on the moves they make, yeah. they'll be in that mix as well. It's going to be a crazy division. There's no doubt about it. And One I, of the worst divisions is probably going to turn into one of the better divisions in football. Yeah, because even, you know, you said it, the Patriots have a lot of cap space. They still have Bill Belichick. He's never going away. And even the Jets, a lot of people are going crazy, you know, with them losing out on Trevor Lawrence. But all the points still stand, and we'll talk about them later. But the future isn't all gloom and doom for them as much as it might seem like it. So this is going to be a really competitive division in the next few years, and the Dolphins have really put themselves in a good spot to compete, especially with the Bills, because the Bills are there right yep. now. Like the Bills, I'm not afraid to say they're a Super Bowl contender at this point, and that's a topic later on in the show. But they're they're going to be neck and neck with the Bills at the top of this division for the next decade. Yep, and what I wanted to say this segment that I forgot to say last segment is that this is the this has this quarterback class has the potential to be the best in NFL history. Yeah. I've never seen any quarterback class coming come into this season with little preparation, no offseason, no preseason, no OTAs, and come as poised and prepared to be a starter. 
you look at Tua, he's basically turnover free. Jalen Hurts has played phenomenal. Joe Burrow, before his injury was playing, was going to break record, was going to break a couple of records. Justin Herbert is on the pace to break multiple records. And, like, just those four guys are like, okay, these are franchise guys. Then you look at Jordan Love in Green Bay, who I think he has the potential to be the best quarterback in the class. He had the best arm talent coming out of school. And Jacob Eason in Indianapolis. Jacob Eason has has great arm talent. You know, so this quarterback class is... They deserve a lot of props for what they're doing in the whole rookie class in general. Because in this rookie class, we have a quarterback who's going to break records in Herbert. We have a wide receiver who broke records in Justin Jefferson. And we're having a defensive end in Chase Young, who's phenomenal. Like, this draft class might go down as one of the best of all time. This, This draft class is that good especially at the quarterback position. Yeah, the quarterback, the wide receiver, Mm -hmm. like their offensive line, all the tackles in a line. This class was special. It's been everything that it was built up to be. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm excited to see this class grow for the next 10 years because there are some Hall of Fame talents in this crop of guys. Yeah, a bunch of them. We're going to move on to another AFC East team, the Buffalo Bills. So after a win against the Broncos, 48-18, to they clinched their first division title since 1995. And I guess the question everybody wants to be answered is, are the Super Bowls, are the Bills Super Bowl contenders? What do you think, Jack? Yes. Yes, there's no question in my mind. And one of the biggest reasons for it is, well, the Chiefs are going to be the only team that should get in their way. In my opinion, right now, the Bills are the second-best team in the AFC. The Steelers have shown yep. their true colors over the past three weeks, and if they don't switch something, they're going to have major problems because you know, there's a difference between an undefeated team taking a loss and showing some, some bad signs, but this is like total red flag issues going on with the Steelers right now that I don't know can be fixed over the next two weeks. And Unless beyond, they fire yeah, somebody. Yeah, exactly. And beyond that... I don't see anybody else in the AFC that is, you know, there are teams, the Titans, the Browns, even the Colts are right there with the Bills. You know, I, I think all of those teams can be in the same category, but if the Bills are playing at their best, there's no reason they aren't the second best team in the AFC. The problem is they have to get through the Chiefs, who I think are head and shoulders above everybody else in the NFL. But if we're talking on a basis of can they give themselves a shot to make it there? Yeah, I think they can get to, you know, the the AFC championship and and be in a game with the Chiefs. I don't see any reason why that's not a possibility for them. Yeah, I think the Super Bowl contenders too, they only have to worry about the Chiefs. And I think even I I think when you lose to a team in the year that you're you might face them in the playoffs, it helps you because you have game film, you kind of know these players' tendencies. So they'll be more prepared to face them if they were to face off in the playoffs. I just want to give a shout-out to the Bills because they built around Josh Allen how us Jet fans were hoping we would build around Sam Darnold. I mean, after his rookie year, what did they do? They went in, they got John Brown. They went in, they got Cole Beasley. And also, has anybody noticed that the Dallas Cowboys have not been the same since Cole Beasley left? (laughs) He like that guy is a leader. He's he's a glue to a team. He he's the NBA, he's the NFL version of PJ Tucker. <laughs> That's who Cole Beasley is. But they went out and they got Cole Beasley and John Brown in his in his sophomore year. 
Then they said, no, that's not enough. They go and trade out for Dig, trade for Diggs, who's the number one receiver. And everybody knows in the offseason, the whole thing about Diggs and Allen was, okay, Diggs is a deep threat receiver. Allen is an inaccurate deep ball thrower. How is this going to work? And they've proven everybody wrong. Diggs is having one of the best seasons of his career, if not the best. Josh Allen's completion percentage has jumped up tremendously. He's in the MVP conversation. And Cole Beasley's on pace to have 1,000 yards this season. He's only 50 yards away. I mean, I think the Bills offense is clicking on another level that Bills fans haven't seen in a long time. And their defense is getting back to its form. Last year, they were very elite. But what did we say last year about the Bills? Their schedule was pretty easy. Yeah. This year, the schedule was tougher. And they're they're kind of like a middle-of-the-pack defense in terms of yards given up. So, you know, maybe that ranking last year was kind of what this year was, they were like the same defense. Just if they were to face weird competition this year, that defense would have been way higher. But I think that defense is still capable of getting stops on third downs. They're still very stingy. Tredavious White is one of the best corners. Jordan Poirier, Micah Hyde, Tremaine Edmonds, who's a pro bowler. They're going to be a very good defense, and I think this is a time where they're going to start clicking. Yeah, and especially with as high powered as that offense is, you don't need a, a lockdown defense. Yep. You know, you just need to be able to get the ball in Josh Allen's hands. And people can go back, and maybe I, I'm mistaken on this, but when I came on as a guest, we talked about the Bills way early in the season, like first week of the season or leading up to the season. We were skeptical about the Bills, but even though Bills fans got really angry at us, the only thing I said about the Bills was the season hinged on Josh Allen. If Josh Allen could take that step, which I didn't think he was going to do, they could be a great team and they'd run away with the AFC East. And he did that and more. He's become an MVP candidate. And look at that. They're the second best team in the AFC. So, you know, we I think we were pretty on the money about this because they have built so well around him and anybody could have seen this coming based on Josh Allen's play. And I give all the credit in the world to Josh Allen because he did everything he had to do to come in this season and have a great year. It was about accuracy. It was about becoming smarter at the quarterback decision, making better decisions. And you can see it in his game. Even week to week, he's improved in that decision-making, You know, making the right throw, knowing when to make certain plays and when to just give up on it. He has been everything they've needed this year, and he's the reason they're there. And I just wanted to say, speaking about can they compete for a Super Bowl, I was listening to SportsCenter this morning, and they were talking about the college football playoff, and they had Brian Kelly on. Brian Kelly, the head coach at Notre Dame, and they were asking him about what the line is against Alabama and if they have any chance, and he laughed and he said, the great thing about college football is that, or the great thing about football is I don't have to go in and beat Alabama 10 times. I have to be the best team in the stadium on New Year's Day, and that's the only time that I need to be better than Alabama for one game. Do I think that the Bills can be better than the Chiefs for one game? It's can. possible. They the don't Chiefs, have to beat them. Nine times out of ten, the Chiefs win that football game. The but Chiefs, all they need is that one. The Chiefs' red zone offense has been pretty bad this year, one of the worst in the NFL. And you you look at the Chiefs that a lot of the times they start out flat. If the Bills face them when the Chiefs start out flat and the Bills are rolling, and now you're up, and you just have to hold the lead. We've seen Mahomes do it and the Chiefs do yeah. it before, but, I mean, that's, that's a position that I would – you know, every team would love to be in the position that the Texans were in last year, 24 to zero. 
that's a position any team would take. Even if the Chiefs were to come back, you, you'll take it. So I think the Bills can be the best team against the Chiefs if they were to face in the playoffs for a game. And, yeah, I think Josh Allen's MVP play has elevated the Bills. Stephon Diggs has elevated the Bills. And that defense, the coaching staff, everybody in the Bills organization des- deserves a lot of credit. And so do the fans that stuck that stuck around through this whole process yeah. to finally get it right. I think, you know, that's what every fan hopes for. In this season alone, we'd had those stories. The Browns finally in the playoffs after their playoff slump. The Bills winning the division since 1995. You know, a lot of good storylines around the NFL, and the Bills are one of them. Yeah, and, and one more point. You look around the AFC, and if you want to beat the Chiefs, you got to be able to score with the Chiefs. The Steelers... I don't trust the Steelers' offense to score with the Chiefs. Same thing with the Colts. I don't know if Phillip Rivers can hang with Patrick Mahomes. Same thing with the Dolphins. I don't know if Tua can duel it out with Patrick Mahomes. He, he did that, so, you know, whatever. But in a playoff game, I don't trust Tua head-to-head against Patrick Mahomes and that Dolphin offense, especially if they're not healthy. The The Titans, Ryan Tannehill has been very good this year, so, yeah, they, they have a shot. The Browns, Baker Mayfield is such an enigma you never know what you're going to get out of him on any given week. He's been really good the past few weeks, yep. but you just never know what you're going to get out of him. So I think that the Bills, with the way their offense has played this season, I really do think they have the best chance in the AFC to go head-to-head with the Chiefs. But, again, it's just that one team they have to get through. But, you know, I think Bills fans are very happy with this season. No matter how it ends up, you can't ask for much more than this. One of their best seasons ever, and, you know, who knows? Maybe they get lucky on that yeah. one given day. It's all they need. And always in the moment when your team loses, of course, you feel bad. But even if they have a great season and end up losing, this will be one of the better moments as a fan that they'll have in a while if they don't end up winning the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. you know, we're Jets fans. We still have nostalgia over the 20, 2009 and 2010 <laughs> seasons where we made the AFC Championship. Even though it didn't end in the Super Bowl, those are still some of the best years of our fandom when we were a Jets fan, you know? So even if you end up losing, those moments are what you cherish, even if they do lose. Yeah, and they'll be back next year. This team is not going anywhere. They still have a really nice young core, and they'll run it back next season. So they're in a good shape, and I think they're in a good shape this year to really compete in the AFC. So now we're going to talk about another AFC East team, one that isn't in the position that the Bills are in. That's the New York Jets We're actually going to talk about them specifically next segment, but this segment is going to be a part two of a segment we did earlier on in the year. Jets or Jaguars, who will get the number one pick? Everybody knows the Jets beat the Rams 23-20. They're now at the second pick because the Jaguars hold the tiebreaker, and there's basically no chance that the Jets can get the first pick if the Jaguars have the same record as the Jets at the end of the season. So... You know, who's going to get the number one pick? Who's going to finish off the number one pick? I'll let you go. Well, the odds have been flipped on their head. You know, coming into this week, I think the Jets had a 73% chance and the Jaguars were on the other After side of After this win. Now the Jaguars have a 71% yeah, chance, I think I the Jets have this 20, 28.8% chance to get the first pick. Yeah. The Jags have a 63.8% chance to get the first pick now. But I will say, and this is something I said to you after the game, the great thing about the NFL this season is that 
any given week, it seems like there could be an upset. And the Jets showed that this weekend against the Rams. <sighs> look, you man. look at who the Jets or who the Jaguars have coming up. They have. They have the Bears and the Colts Week 17. Do I think they're going to get a win in either one of those games? It's not likely. You know, the Bears have been looking better. Mitchell Trubisky has actually looked like a starting quarterback. But we we talked about it earlier this season. Matt Nagy has been lost with the playbook this season. So who knows how his offense is going to come out looking. And Week 17, the Colts, you know, maybe they rest their starters. They clinch the playoff berth. You just never know. But then, you know, who knows? The the Jags win a game, and then we go out and we get to Patriots Week 17. We'll probably beat them. So I, right Listen. now, I think I think the Jaguars are going to get the pick, but I don't think it's as set in stone. You know, people were throwing a parade about how the Jets lost out on Trevor Lawrence. I don't think it's a, as signed, sealed, and delivered as everybody thinks it is. This is what I'm going to say. If you've been watching the show – you know that I'm superstitious, and I've been having my superstitious moments throughout the throughout the year. I told Jack here, don't I think you jinxed the Jets when you said there's no way the Jets win a game. You said that, and I said, bro, I think you just jinxed the Jets. And this is for every Jets fans that Jets fans that thought it was a done deal. We were getting Lawrence, we were getting this, we were getting that. A couple of weeks ago, I told everybody, look, I'm not sure if they're beating the Raiders. All right. I'm not sure if they're beating the Raiders. Trust me on that. The Jets blew the game against the Raiders. We should have won that game. Needless to say, we we lose regardless. And now against the Rams, I think this game was the game that every Jets fans marked up as a loss, like indefinitely, because the the Rams look so dominant on defense. Their offense clicks. We have one of the worst defenses in the NFL. I was thinking about starting Jared Goff in fantasy. Jared Goff comes out flat. Jared Goff is one of the most inconsistent quarterbacks in the NFL, and I think he deserves a lot of blame for the Rams. And instead of talking about how bad the Rams played, we're talking about the Jets losing out on Lawrence. We're not yeah. even talking about their win. That I think this Jets loss marks everything it means to be a Jets fan. Constant disappointment. What can go wrong will go wrong. And an old saying that a lot of people say is, way to F it up. But you know what I say? Way to jet it up. It, that's what I say. Way to jet it up. It's just the way it goes. Hiring Adam Gase, Sam Darnold, his regression has been crazy. And now losing out on Trevor Lawrence, our former franchise quarterback, stopping us from getting our future franchise quarterback. But now on to the question, who will get the number one pick? I said it before earlier, earlier when I was talking right now. I'm superstitious. So the Jaguars will get the number one pick. And I'm saying that for my own deceitful reasons. But you look at the schedule, the Jets face the Browns and the Patriots. I think they can lose both. It it should be two losses. The the Jaguars face the Bears and the Colts. If the Colts rest their starters on week 17, they have a chance. They beat the Colts in week one. So they have a chance. But what I want to say is that if I'm the Jaguars, I bench Minshew. (laughs) Yeah. Because Minshew gives me the best chance to win. You and everybody talks about because because I've been hearing this take around uh, around like just people that talk like us into a mic about sports that the Jets ruined Sam Darnold and Jet, Sam Darnold couldn't save the Jets. Sam Darnold was never a great quarterback prospect, and if we're being honest, Gardner Minshew has been better than Darnold 
to start his career. Nobody's talking about Minshew saving the Jags. Like, Min, you look at right now, this year, Minshew has 16 touchdowns and five interceptions in eight games started. Darnold has six touchdowns and nine interceptions in 10 games started. Minshew's a better quarterback. He's mistake-free. He's mistake free. He's he's better in getting out the pocket and moving. He sets his pressure better. Yeah, he was a late-round pick, but he's better than Darnold. So the Jaguars' best chance is to bench Minshew and have Jake Lutton or 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 not even Mike Lennon because Mike Lennon, a veteran, is capable of winning a game. Put Jake Lutton out there and let him do what he does. Get get the guy who was the guy that played for the Broncos, the receiver, Kendall Hinton. <laughs> you get Kendall Hinton and you tell him, okay, we got we to gotta have you start for these two games. Get, get him out there, Kendall Hinton. They need to lose these next two games. And I just can't believe the Jets messed this up. They, well, they should have gone almost 16. Let me let me just say something to address that point because I feel like a lot of people don't understand this. You that that would be a smart decision for the Jaguars because as much as people can look at it from their couch on Monday morning and say that teams should be losing these games and should be tanking, these guys are professionals and there is there is not a single guy in an NFL locker room. There will not be a single guy on the Jaguars roster on Sunday that is thinking about Trevor Lawrence could be their quarterback next year. Every single one of them is locked in trying to win a football game, and it showed with the Jets this weekend. They didn't care that they were in line for Trevor Lawrence. Those guys are professionals. They're working hard every week for as they should. four months to win a football game. And, you know, Adam Gase said it as much as I hate Adam Gase. Adam Gase said it in his post game. That locker room was more excited than even the Broncos when they were on their Super Bowl run when he was there with Peyton Manning because that team went through so much this season. They were not trying to lose, and the Jaguars are not going to try and lose these upcoming two weeks. So, you know, you put Minshew out there, like you mentioned the numbers, he's, you know, what if people call it Minshew magic, Minshew mania the past two years. So who knows, he comes out and catches a game here, but... I just want to mention, you you brought up a good point. The Rams are, have got to be thanking their lucky stars that the Jets were in such a bad position with this win because they should be embarrassed at their performance on Sunday. You know you know what's the thing? You know what's the thing? When we made this segment the first time, the part one of this segment, I'll, I'll actually like link it in this video so people can go out and watch it. I said, we know how second-half Sam Donald plays. He looks like a franchise quarterback he, in the second did, half of the season. He did play really well. And that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried. I was worried that Sam Donald was going to come alive in the second half and, and cost us. You know, who knows if we can win one of these next two games? We probably could. And uh, another thing that goes around is that people are asking this question: What's the what's the better situation, the Jets or the Jaguars? Look, I think it's pretty much the same. I, I think the Jaguars have a better offensive line: Andrew Norwell, Brandon Linder, Jawan Jawano, Rob Jawan Taylor. And, I mean, Keelan Cole, Tyler Eifert, James Robinson, Chark, Chenault, they got talent, right? But I think, look, the narrative that the Jets are the worst situation and Trevor Lawrence should not want to, should want to like to get a trade out of New York if he, if they get them one pick, I think is ridiculous. Because if you're going to say that about the Jets, say that about the Jaguars yeah. as well. Because Adam Gates is a horrible coach, but Doug Marone has been that as well. And they have one of the worst owners in football and, and Shad Khan, I think that's his name. Yeah. I know Khan is his last name in the NFL. So if you're going to say that about the Jets, 
say that about the Jaguars too, even though I don't think neither should be said about either team. Yeah, and I'll say this about the Jets, and I can say this pretty confidently. If you gave them an average head coach this season, they probably would have at least four wins. They they beat the Rams with Adam Gase at the helm on Sunday. They would have won the Raiders game. They would have won the Patriots game earlier in the season, and that's three off the bat. And they've had a couple one-score games that I think they could have won had they had better coaching. It's not like they're devoid of talent. With a tougher schedule than the Jags. Exactly. Quinton Williams was a Pro Bowl talent this year. I don't care if he made it or not. He should have been a Pro Bowl player, and he didn't get the recognition he deserved because he was playing for the Jets, and he dealt with injuries this season. Makai Becton has been incredible. I mean, I'm not trying to overstate it. He manhandled Aaron Donald on Sunday. Aaron Donald was a non-factor for that Rams defense. So, you know, there is talent on both sides of the ball. I can keep going, and I will when we talk about it on the Jets and what they should do next, but I just can't believe... Even as bad as the Rams played through three quarters, in the fourth quarter, they have a chance to win the game. They get to third and four. They have two downs to get four yards with five minutes to play. You just watched Cam Akers gash the Jets' defense for two huge gains. Yes, they were called back for penalties, but even the, the runs that weren't being called back, he was he was getting four or five yards of carry on that last drive, and then you get a third and four, and what, first of all, you dial up a wheel route going for a touchdown on third down. Okay, fourth and four, you need to get a first down. So what do you call a one-on-one against the best player in the Jets' secondary, Marcus May, Gerald with Everett. Gerald Everett to the right side of the field where... <laughs> Jared Goff to the right side of the field further than 10 yards. He has a 31% completion rating this season. So how do you put your quarterback in such a position to fail at the end of the game like that? It just made no sense to me. The Rams should be embarrassed. Sean McVay, as good of a coach as he should be, he should be embarrassed with this loss and, you know, maybe but the offense life... hasn't been good all year. No, no. And we talked about it. I would recommend you go back and listen to, is Jared Goff holding back the Rams? Because I think he is. And I would love to see Sean McVay with a different quarterback because Jared Goff's inconsistencies, I mean, they were glaring on Sunday against a not good New York Jets defense. Like right now, this defense, they have pieces, but they are not in a good place. You know, this is the thing, Jack. I know that as Jets fans, we should have a way more emotional and passionate response to this, to the Jets losing out on potentially the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence. But personally, for me, I'm used to this. It it doesn't. I, I'm really used to this. So I, when it when things like this happen, I it's not like I didn't see it coming. I, I did see it coming. I did see this happening. So that's why now I'm not shocked. I'm not like, oh man, you yeah. know. I kind of saw this happen. I wasn't even. I think I said this to you on Sunday. I wasn't even as bothered by the Jets winning as much as I was just having to hear about it because you know anything with the Jets becomes such a joke. If the Jaguars had the first overall pick and they won a game and the Jets then got it, you wouldn't have heard half as much as you would heard about the Jets when it happened to them just because the Jets have been a, a bad franchise for the past decade. But, you know, we will talk about the Jets, but I don't think that this is a nail-in-the-coffin type situation for them. I th- still think there's a lot of promise there, but this offseason, now the question marks get even larger than they were because one of the biggest question marks was, what happens at quarterback? You yeah. had your answer in Trevor Lawrence. So now if you end up picking a two, there are so many different directions that you can go in. But I yeah. don't think that the Jets are dead and buried missing out on Trevor Lawrence. It sucks. There's no question about it. But, you know, and again, like I said to start the segment, there's still a lot of football to play. 
And we've seen some crazy upsets this year. The Jaguars beat the Colts in week one, and now we see where these teams sit. You know, 15 weeks later, the Jets beat the Rams last week. The Raiders beat the Chiefs. So any given Sunday, you never know what can happen, and we just have to hope that Minshew can provide some Minshew mania once again. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But now the next segment is where do the Jets go from here? I mean, look, we know that the Jets lost to the Rams 23 to 20. They have the second overall pick now. Instead of dwelling on that scenario that we're not getting Trevor Lawrence, let's talk about what the Jets can do. What what can they yeah. do to, to be a relevant franchise? Again, we're both Jets fans. If you're watching, welcome to this to the Jets segment. We're both <laughs> Jets fans. Second overall pick. So this is, before we start, assuming the Jets finish with the second overall assuming pick. Assuming the Jets finish with the second over, gotcha. overall pick, both of us are going to give our scenarios for our dream offseason. I'll go first. So with the second overall pick, I think, do we draft the quarterback or do we draft Penny Sewell from Oregon? I might have mis- mispronounced his name, but okay. You have the choice between Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and I even seen some mocks have Mac Jones being a top 10 pick. Look, I'm not sold on Fields. First thing, first things, first things first. I'm not sold on Fields. I would not take him with the second overall pick. I think he stares down his first read way too much. Yeah. He struggled versus Northwestern and Indiana when he's faced competition. He looks he looks lost out there. I would not trust him with the second overall pick. And even though Justin Hurt, I mean Justin Fields is a like a dual threat quarterback, he can run. I don't think he's as fast as people think he is. And in the NFL, I think he'll look pretty slow. He'll look pretty average in terms of his speed. Then you talk about Zach Wilson. I think as a just a guy who's ready to read defenses at the next level, who has pretty good arm talent, Zach Wilson is there. But I, I just don't trust his physical attributes. He's very he's kind of short. He's like 6'1", 6'0". He doesn't have the strongest arm. He's not very mobile. So I'm not sold on Wilson being the second overall pick. That being said, I don't think we should go tackle here. I still think we need to get a quarterback because I don't think Sam Donald's that guy. You know, I just don't think he's that guy. My dream scenario is that the Jets trade out of that pick to a pick that they could to a pick that they can draft Trey Lance. Look, I knew you were going to say that. Trey Lance, he has a lot of question marks. His inexperience. He played in a in a bad conference in college football. But last year, I think he had 24 touchdowns, zero interceptions, and like 18 rushing touchdowns or like 14 rushing touchdowns. I mean, this guy was basically turnover free, even though he was throwing to a lot of open guys. But we talked about this with Josh Allen and Justin Herbert early on in the show. Quarterbacks that have the physical attributes take that risk on them. If, if the Jets get a good coaching staff, then Trey Lance can be a very great quarterback. They can develop him good. And I think he's the guy. He he's 6'4. He has better height than Fields and and Wilson. He has a better arm than both of those guys. He's faster. He's more mobile than both of those guys. So I think if you're going quarterback, you go Trey Lance. I don't think Trey Lance is a is a second pick in the draft. That's why I think a, a team could trade up and get Fields. But I think whatever team that trades up with them, you get you get Trey Lance. I think he's the guy that you got to get. You build around him. Then with our other first-round pick, you draft a receiver, you draft a tackle like Alex Leatherwood, a guy like that, or or I think Wyatt Davis. You just draft offensive lineman or a receiver like Rashad Bateman. You draft a receiver to complement 
Trey Lance and that offense. And I think this is a hot take, but maybe Trey Lance isn't ready to start day one. So get a Jacoby Brissett, get a Tyrod Taylor to start day one. Or even we know the Raiders probably going to unload off of Derek Carr, maybe get a Derek Carr. And so we bring in a quarterback that can win immediately and also mentor Trey Lance or whatever quarterback we draft. So then they'll be ready when they step into that situation. I don't think not getting Lawrence is the end of the world, even though I think Trevor Lawrence is the only guy in this draft that takes the Jets from bad to respectable in a season. Like he's the only guy that had to take the Jets into respectable in a season. Any other quarterback in this draft, it's going to take a year or two. I agree with you there. I'll start by saying this before I even talk about the draft pick. Far and away the most important decision of the offseason and the most important decision of the next five to ten years will be the head coaching choice. Because if you get a guy like Adam Gase, it doesn't matter if you're drafting Trevor Lawrence, it doesn't matter who you're drafting, this team will not succeed. So the head coaching choice is first and foremost for me. And personally, I prefer an NFL guy. I don't really want to bring in a college guy to the NFL ranks. Even though it's been sort of successful these past couple of years, I would rather bring in a guy like Biennemi or Robert Sala, who's respected around the league, a good leader of the locker room, and really good football minds that have proven themselves at this level. I would prefer somebody like that coming mm-hmm. into this situation because I don't think we're as far away as people think we are. So I think the head coaching choice is first and foremost in my mind. Then when you get into the draft, at the second pick, if you, I would be okay with a trade back. I don't know where we would trade back to, but as long as you get a really good package for it, I would be fine with a trade back in number two because like you said, I'm not sold on Justin Fields. When you look at his tape and you look at his numbers, he is the best quarterback in college football, better than Trevor Lawrence when throwing to his first read. He is incredible when he throws to his first read. But the problem is the numbers dip as he goes further and further into multiple reads. And that's where Trevor Lawrence excels. When he has to make plays beyond his first read, he's incredible. And that's what separates him. Justin Fields has not done that. And that's going to be a problem translating to the NFL. And another thing you mentioned is his athleticism. Uh, One of Rob Gronkowski's brother is on TikTok. And he said that his biggest transition to the NFL was that everybody is an athlete. It's not just the skill position, guys. The offensive lineman can run. The defensive lineman can run. Everybody can catch you. So any any athleticism advantage that you have in college football, you know, you can you can outrun a Northwestern defensive tackle. But when you're facing you Quentin know, Williams, yeah, that that's that's where it gets real. And I think a lot of that athleticism that you've seen out of him is going to be neutralized. So. I'm not in love at all with Justin Fields. I would take Zach Wilson before I took Justin Fields because he's shown me more on his tape that pops off. Like you see his tape and he, although he has a lot of red flags as well. This first great season, that's it. Yeah, there are are so many plays that you see and you're like, this kid can be legit. He He makes some NFL throws. So he's impressed me more than Justin Fields, but I wouldn't feel great with either of them the second pick. If I had to pick it to, I'm taking Panay Sewell from Oregon. The toughest name to pronounce, but if you can sure up those two tackle positions, which are the most important positions Makai, on the line, yeah. you build up that wall and you know you could figure out the quarterback. There are going to be some options. You named a couple. 
that are going to be available this season at the NFL level. Derek Carr, I think, can step in and win you some football games next year. Even a guy like Carson Wentz, I would hate that personally because the contract is way too big and he needs a lot of retooling. But there's going to be guys out there that are available at the NFL level. And then later in the draft, you mentioned a guy like Mac Jones. Kyle Trask. Or Kyle Trask. If you get one of them later in the first round, I don't think that's a bad pick at all for the value and, you know, there's a bunch of other positions that need to be upgraded, but you have the second most cap this offseason. You have the best draft capital. You're going to have a second round pick and two third round picks. So those are guys that can come in and be impact players from day one. So I would like to see the money and the picks go towards a wide receiver. I know Allen Robinson is a guy who's been floated around to the Jets. That would be a nice addition, but you got to remember, you're adding a wide receiver to a core where you already have Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims. So you're off to a solid start in that receiving core. So, you know, adding a piece to that, I think, makes your offense very formidable. If you draft Sewell, you know, I think the interior line, the guards could use some help. I know there's some guys out there. Brandon Scherf is going to be available. Joe Thune is going to be available this offseason. So there's some names out there that you could bring in to shore up that offensive line. And then defensively, you need an edge and you need corners. Those are the biggest question marks this offseason. I don't think it's that far-fetched to say the Jets can become a respectable team next year, but the problem with losing out on Trevor Lawrence as much as you missed out on a can't-miss guy is... He's a can't-miss guy. Yeah, there's so many more avenues now to mess up. And that's what scares me. Yeah, I mean, the Jets aren't in a horrible position. You talked about Mims, Crowder, Becton. Even Herndon, I think, has something that he has some untapped potential. If we get an Eric Bannemi in here, Quentin Williams on the defensive side, Marcus May, Brian Poole, Fatakasi, Fatakuzi. Yeah, he's been great this season. Yeah, he's been great. Neville Hewitt has played great on the inside linebacker position. Then you look at Quentin. Then on the offensive line, Becton, Connor McGovern's okay, George Font. So, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different avenues to go if you're the Jets. And but you're I, right, I know we can mess up. I know we haven't seen him in two seasons, but C.J. Mosley's supposed to be coming back next season, and the last time we saw him, he was a pro Bowl talent at the middle linebacker position. Yeah, so. So it's, but you're right. There's a lot of avenues that the Jets can potentially mess up, which is why missing out on Trevor Lawrence, if they do ultimately, will hurt so much. Yeah. Because not only does Trevor Lawrence sure up that quarterback position for the next five to 10 years or for the next, as long as he's going to be a quarterback in the NFL, but it gives the Jets credibility. Now, when you're facing the Jets, oh, you're facing Trevor Lawrence. You're not facing Sam Donald. You're not facing Derek Carr. You're not facing Trey Lance. You know, you're facing Trevor Lawrence. That's a guy, that's a big name. And yeah, I mean, because right now, if we get if we were to got if we get Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence comes into the Jets and instantly is the quarterback with the best potential to be the best one in the, in the division. You get a guy like Trey Lance or Justin Fields or whoever else, they're like the second or third. They're not, yeah. you know, they're not the best guy, and that's what hurts the Jets the most. And also, Trevor Lawrence would have made the head coaching job much more attractive than it yep. is now with so many question marks circling. And I see the chat is talking about. The Jets drafted a left tackle yes, last year. Yes, they did, but Makai Becton can play either spot, and so can Sewell. So I would have to imagine Becton would move back to right tackle, which was his natural position in college for his first two seasons, and Sewell would play left tackle. 
All right. So what we're about to do is that we're about to uh, we're about to call a friend. We're about to call a friend Chance. He's a Jaguars fan. We're gonna get his take on his team winning the lottery, basically. So Jack, if you can just put the Bluetooth knob up, so then we can hear him. All right, it should be good. All right, we're about to call. You can hear it, right? Yeah. Okay. Hello. Hey, what's up, Chance? We're live on pick. Right? A, we're live on pick a side right now. Yeah, what's going on? Hey, what's up, man? So we just finished a segment talking about where do the Jets go from here. And I, I already know you're feeling like the happiest fan in the world because the Jaguars <laughs> are in position to draft Trevor Lawrence. So I just want to get your initial emotions on that. Yeah, um, Joel, I'm not going to lie, bro. Um, I did not watch the Jaguars and Ravens game. Um, I think I tuned in for like the first five to ten minutes and then I saw the safety and I'm like, all right, this is, this is, this is a done deal. I'm not dealing with it. And... I remember earlier on in the day, I was tweeting, I'm like, you know, I don't expect the Jets to beat the Rams, but Jared Goff has a tendency against bad teams to have like a clunker game. So I was like, all right, I'm going to turn it on. And I watched, I watched the game from start to finish. I see the Jets go 7 nothing. I'm like, okay, okay. Then it's 10 nothing. Then they get the block point, and I'm like, they might do it today. And then... Like as the entire then it's twenty to three at halftime and I'm like, this might happen. Mm-hmm. This is a legitimate chance this might happen now. And then I saw the Rams starting to come back and I'm like, here we go again. Uh, I don't know your guy's puncher's name, but uh, huge shout out to him. I appreciate it. It was great. And then we get to the fourth quarter and then Frank Gore converts that third down. And I'm I'm jumping for joy, like it it was just it was so amazing, and I, I'm trying to keep my excitement low just for the simple fact that there's still two games left, and I don't trust the Jaguars because they'll come out and beat the Bears, and then this won't happen, and then it won't even be like it, it won't matter. So I'm just keeping my emotions in check for now, but like all the Jaguar fans that I know, like everyone is. It's all nervous optimism, but Sunday night was amazing. Like, it really was. You know what's the thing is that I think everybody was so focused on the Jets and fixated on them being this yep. being this franchise with the worst luck. But the Jaguars have some pretty bad luck. As much as Jets fans are nervous, Jaguars are extremely nervous right now. Yeah, you have no idea. This is the same team that passed on Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, okay, and Lamar Jackson for that matter, okay? Like, we keep the, the same GM and head coach for far too long, and, the Jet, like, the Jaguars have passed up on Aaron Rodgers. They took a punter for Russell Wilson. I'm not going to get into that. Like, this whole franchise outside of 2017, practically since, like, 07 has been terrible. So, it's just real nervous optimism. And, Joel, you like, you said it, like, honestly, this whole time, I didn't even think about Trevor Lawrence coming to the Jaguars. Because I was like, I didn't think the Jets were going to win a game. I said it last week. Yeah, and, and I said it myself. I'm like, I'm, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to just be content with Fields. And after seeing that performance on Saturday, 
I think that's what also led to how happy everyone was because it's like we're we're, we're trying to talk ourselves. All right, Bills will be good. He'll be good. And then when the Jets did that, it's like they gave us a lifeline. But, um, yeah, like this entire time, I didn't even think about Trevor Lawrence. And now, you know, there's only two games left. We have to see what happens. But, um, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good position to be in, but the job's not finished yet. Because just like the Jets won, the Jaguars can easily come out and Gardner Minshew could end this. And if that happens, uh, I don't. I don't know what to say. It's, it's gonna be. It's gonna be a real. It's gonna be a real rough day. Because, because, so I'm gonna tell you something. From the, like the Jaguars media over the past two days has been actively calling for them to lose these games. They're like they have to lose. They have to lose. And like they, I haven't seen them this happy since we beat uh, the Patriots back in 2018. That second week of the season. Like, that's the last time a fan base has been this excited about anything. And, it, 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 you know, like, again, as, as bad a season as Jets have had, if the Jaguars go 1-15, this would be the worst season in the team's history. And mm-hmm. you add on top of that, they've never picked first. So it would be something very, very, um, very monumental if it, if it sucks to this fight. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm reserving judgment until the fourth quarter of that Colts game and the game's over. Because <laughs> I'm not. I'm not getting hurt. I'm not doing it. So I'm not entirely caught up on the Jaguar situation in terms of Doug Marone. But is it a sure thing that he's going to get fired after this year? Uh, I would put it in the ninety to ninety-five percent range because, like, uh, they fired Dave Caldwell. Uh, odds are. They're going to hire a new GM. I know they interviewed Lewis Riddick today. I'm not a fan of that at all, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the odds are they'll hire the GM and they'll give him the option of keeping the coach. And if they go 1-15, I highly doubt he'll be here. And, if the, like I said, if they just discontinues, they'll, they'll have a new coach. But, yeah, um, uh, he, he won't be here. They're going to probably blow out the entire coaching staff. It'll be a complete new reset, and uh, I I just hope they make the right decision with GM because I don't know the GM aficionados like that, but yeah. I know Lewis Riddick wanted Nick Foles, and I know that he said that Eli Apple would be better than Jalen Ramsey. Okay, <laughs> so when I hear those two things, I'm immediately out. I'm immediately out. So, okay, I know that you're reserving your optimism for until it's a done deal that the Jaguars have the first pick. But let's act like you guys are there. It's finished. It's a done deal. Tell me about the situation that Trevor Lawrence is going to in Jacksonville and how quickly can he turn around the Jaguars? Well, uh, if you look at the offensive talent, you know, they have James Robinson, who's the third leading rusher in the league. Um, you have DJ Chark, who's uh, he's a cleaner between a, a one and a two, but he's an above average wide receiver. You've got LaVista Chenault. You have Colin Johnson who's coming on. You have the, I think, the second most cap space in the league behind the Jets, if I'm not mistaken. You have like 11 first round picks. You've got two twos. You've got two ones. I think you have a, two, a third and two fours. So you've got a whole lot of flexibility. If you like, but like, let's say they took Trevor Lawrence. Let's say you wanted to do, like get Kyle Pitts or something. You could use the Rams pick 
and the Jets actually helped that, by the way, by beating them. You could use that in probably one of the twos and move up to get Kyle Pitts. Because the other second that they have is the Vikings one, and they're not going to make the playoffs. So you add to that, the owner has spent a boatload of money in free agency. He's not afraid to spend money. They have to fix the defense, but uh, you look at the offensive pieces and everything else, and because of how crappy the division can be despite the great quarterback play, mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it past them to be in the playoffs probably by 2022. Because I think that, I think that like, this first year, it'll just be, you know, it's his rookie year. He wins about four or five games, and then I'll be looking for them to make the playoffs that following year. You know, and, and the AFC South is one of those divisions that is easily winnable when you look at it, the Colts. How long does Phillip Rivers have? You look at the yeah. Texans. The Texans aren't going to be relevant until 2022 or 2023 because their their picks are very low and they don't have cap yeah, space have until that time. Pick this year. Exactly. And they don't have cap space until that time. The only team the Jaguars are competing with is the Tennessee Titans. And with Tannehill's contract kicking in and Henry's contract kicking in, their defense is already pretty average to bad. I mean, the Jaguars can turn this thing around and win the division quicker than people think. Yeah, so uh, it, it it very well could happen. And uh, I'm just – it's just a lot because, like, you know, my, like – and I don't really even like going back to this. But, again, two years ago, if the AFC Championship game were up 20-10, to 10, and I think it's like a third and 18. Mm-hmm. And ever since that moment on – it's just been bad decisions, uh, players that don't want to be here, although I don't really blame them. That was more of the front office. And, you know, you have a complete – you have a chance to just completely – again, if Trevor Lawrence is what everyone says he is, you've got a chance to just completely wipe away the last decade and a half of being terrible, and you'd have a superstar quarterback, and it would make life very fun here again because, honestly, the last time the Jaguars were a consistent competitor, I was a baby. <laughs> okay? So it would, be, it, would, it would do the city great, great justice if they could get Trevor Lawrence. But, again, I am not getting excited until the Jaguars go 1-15. See, see, listen, Chance, you know, I hope for your sake – if I was in your shoes, of course, I want Trevor Lawrence. But me looking at how you Jaguars fans are feeling, oh, man, I hope that that feeling of optimism gets ripped out of your hearts because yeah. I want Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, but listen, Jets and Jaguars fans are cut from the same cloth, all right? Now, the Jets have been around longer, but we've both been, for the most part, bad. So, you know, um, you know, uh, made a best man win, I guess. Or the best man lose. <laughs> We're just gonna have <laughs> to keep you know on what? losing. That's true. I'll get, that's true. Actually, made a best man lose. And we need you guys. You to know, win. again, you look at the if you look at the schedules. I mean, we're probably not going to win another one, and the Jets probably aren't going to beat the Browns. That Patriots game is going to be something interesting because now that they've been eliminated, does Bill Belichick try to throw the game to keep Trevor Lawrence out of the AFC East? Yeah. That's that's a possibility. That that's the that's the game that I'm gonna have circled because 
Although then again, with the way Cam Newton's looking, he may not even have to do that. But <laughs> All right, yeah, so- man, uh, it'll be it'll be something very interesting. These next two weeks are going to be very interesting because it's gonna it's gonna decide the future of these two franchises for who knows how long. Yeah, for sure. We appreciate you for being on the show today. It was a great experience getting a Jaguars fan's perspective on this. And thanks. Yeah, man. Anytime. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Merry Christmas, guys. Take care. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Good luck to your Nets tonight. (laughs) Yep. You already know. (laughs) KD, 27 points, five rebounds, three assists. Kyrie, 25-3. It's a wrap. <laughs> All right, man. Merry All Christmas. Right. Yeah, just just as you said that, the Nets announced their starting lineup tonight. It's gonna Ky- be Kyrie Dinwiddie, Kyrie Dinwiddie, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan. So, so Levert off the bench. Levert, six man of the year. That's a that's an interesting lineup. Yeah, I would have thought Levert would be starting a guaranteed I, starting spot. I think he's just gonna run with a bunch of different lineups throughout the beginning of the season. But we'll talk about that in our NBA episode. So the next topic we have is Corey Davis. He's having a breakout season for his standards in Tennessee right now. He has 60 receptions, 945 receiving yards, career high, by the way, five touchdowns and 15.8 yards per reception, which is a career high as well. I mean, this guy was the fifth overall pick in 2017 before the year started. They declined his fifth year option. So, I mean, now this guy is finally living up to sort of those expectations. First 1,000-yard receiving season, it looks like he's on pace for that. And, I mean, I just think it's a good story. A guy who I know it's really hard to get off that bus label when you don't live up to expectations as the fifth overall pick. Like, your expectations are Julio Jones status. Yeah. Best receiver in the league status. But at the end of the day, Tennessee has been kind of – switching in offensive coordinators year in and year out. Arthur Smith is the only guy who's been here for like a while, which was last year and this year. And I think it's just a good story to talk about that Corey Davis is finally breaking out and becoming that fifth overall pick, sort of. Yeah, and he hasn't even played the full season. He's missed, I think, three games to this point. So for him to be putting up these numbers, he's been super impressive, and he's actually shown... You know, he, he's like a number one caliber wide receiver at this point, and he's been the beneficiary of a very nice season from Ryan Daniel. He's played very well over the past, you know, the end of last season coming into the beginning of this season. And I know probably everyone has seen the graphic of his numbers compared to Patrick Mahomes over the past 22 games. You know, yeah. Ryan Daniel might be one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league. So now, you know, working with him, with A.J. Brown on the other side, it's been a, and Derrick Henry at the running back position, opening up those throwing lanes. It's been the perfect position to succeed, and he's capitalized, especially you know coming down the the home stretch of the season. He's been huge for the Titans, so I'm happy to see him. You know, I remember him at Baylor; he he was awesome. So to see him now in the league, reaching that potential, it, it's cool to see that. Especially like you said, I hate seeing guys coming into the league and being busts. So to see him have gone through that. And now coming back and succeeding with the Titans, it's a really cool story, and he's having an incredible year. Yeah, and I mean, you said it. I don't think he's like number one. I think he's a great number two. He's like on that. He's like on yeah. that border. And what AJ Brown has done for him is kind of opened him up more. He doesn't have that full responsibility of having that burden that he has to um, show out every single week. 
but he's a good running blocker. And this year, he has five games where he's had 100 yards receiving or more. The only other season where he's had anything close to that, I believe, was in 2018, and he had two. So, I mean, this guy is, is having a breakout season by all means. I forgot to start him yesterday in fantasy. I mean, two oh. days ago, I almost lost. I, I, I won by, like, half a point. And if I would have lost, it would have been because I didn't I didn't start Corey Davis. I started Tyler Boyd instead, and he got hurt in the game. But yeah, I think this is a great story, and they're probably gonna they're probably gonna extend him after this year. I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't. They need a second wide receiver to AJ Brown. And when you talk about Corey Davis's numbers, even though like he hasn't lived up to that fifth overall pick, if any receiver's drafted in the second round and has Corey Davis's production to what he's had so far, that's great value. Yeah. Even yeah. a late first rounder. But since he was a top five pick, like you were ex- expected to be a top five wide receiver in the NFL, no doubt about it. But we've seen in the past wide receivers that go high tend to not pan out. Like outside of Julio and Calvin, Darius Hayward Bay went with a top pick. You know, I, I could name a couple more. I kind of forgot, though. But I know Darius Hayward Bay was Corey Davis was to recent memory. You know, but I think it's good for Corey Davis. Tannehill is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think now that he's there, Mariota's not. That also helped out Corey Davis tremendously. Yeah, and, and pretty much every number across the board is up for him this year. His yards per target, his receptions per game, his yards per game, his catch percentage is up by, you know, almost 15%. So when the ball is being thrown to him, he's now making plays and making the catches he should be making. Obviously, his yards, his, his touchdowns are the best of his career you know, 47 first downs with two games to play. That's the same total that he had in his 2018 season, which is really his only solid season that he's really had in his career so far. So he's not only playing his best football of his career, he is kicking through the door into another level that everybody expected to see from him. And he's only 25 years old. So he's still got some room to grow and some time to play in this league. And, you know, who knows how how much bigger of a piece he can become in this offense. They're going to keep this offense together for a couple of years now. they got a young A.J. Brown, Corey Davis that they extend him, Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill, who, who they gave a bunch of money to this past offseason. You know, their, their offense is in really good shape. I love what Mike Rabel's doing down there. And the Titans should, should be a, a – they should be up there for the next couple of years. So while we were talking, I was researching wide receivers that have been taking with the top 10 pick. In 2017, Corey Davis was the fifth pick. Mike Williams was the seventh. And John Ross was the ninth pick. So three wide receivers that didn't live up to the hype. Mike Williams maybe is like on the on the bubble of it. And not, then, not for that high of a pick. And then let me see. 2016, Corey Coleman, the 15th pick. But I'm looking for top 10. Amari Cooper in 2015, the fourth pick. Kevin White, the seventh pick. So oh Cooper, pipe, Cooper panned out, but Kevin White didn't. Then in 2014, Sammy Watkins was the fourth pick, and Mike Evans was the seventh pick. 2013, Tavon Austin was the eighth pick. In 2012, let me see, I think. <laughs> Sammy Watkins. 20, 2011, it was A.J. Green and Julio Jones, both top ten picks. So that was a good draft. And then, yeah, I mean, let me see, 2009, Darius Hayward Bay, the seventh pick. 2007, Calvin Johnson, the second pick. Ted Ginn, the ninth pick. 
So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically like hit or miss. It's hit or miss with these receivers getting drafted in the top 10. But there, I don't think any of those guys have had a career like this where they struggled and then turned it around. All, yeah, all of the names true. that you named that have been very successful were successful from day one and had legendary careers. So this is a cool little career arc that he's got going for him so far. Little comeback story. We weren't going to go too in-depth with that. Just a little, <coughs> Just a little nice story about how Corey Davis is reviving his career in Tennessee. Now we're going to talk about the NFC East. Washington and the Giants are racing for that number one seed in the East. And look, I mean, both teams are kind of built similarly, right? They both have pretty good defenses. I think Washington's is a great elite defense. And off both offenses struggle to score points and move the ball, even though I think the Washington's is a little bit more consistent with Alex Smith. But who finishes with the with, who finishes as the division winner? Washington has the Panthers and Eagles left. The Giants have the Ravens and Cowboys. And these are the scenarios for the Giants to win the division. I have it right here. If the Giants lose to the Ravens and Washington beats the Panthers, then Washington is in. The Giants are out. If Giants lose to the Ravens, but they beat Dallas, but Washington goes 0-2, then the Giants are in because the Giants own the tiebreaker since they beat the the Washington football team two times already. So what scenarios do you think are going to happen? Who do you have making the playoffs? Well, my biggest question for the Washington football team right now is the status of not only Alex Smith, but also Antonio Gibson. I know Alex, Alex Smith, Smith is supposed to start this upcoming yeah, weekend. He's hopeful to return in Antonio Gibson. Ron Rivera said that, you know, he's hoping that he returns as well. So who knows if he does or not. If they could get those two guys back, at least at, you know, somewhat full strength, I would feel confident saying the Washington football team, just because you look at the other side with the Giants, Daniel Jones, he did not look great the other day when he played with that injury. So I don't feel confident saying that he's going to turn around and recover from it a week later or two weeks later, I guess you could say. And if they have to rely on Colt McCoy, there's no chance. I'm sorry. There's no chance they could win the division with Colt McCoy at the helm. I know he beat the Seahawks. That was a fluke. Wayne Gallman had the best game of his career pretty much. And that's not going to happen again. So if Daniel Jones can come out and be healthy, maybe it shakes things up. But fully healthy, like if both of these teams have their quarterbacks, I still feel more confident saying the Washington football team just because I think Daniel Jones has shown his inexperience in the worst times this year. And now you're coming down a playoff stretch run that he has not experienced before. Even when he played at Duke, he didn't have to play in any big moments. So coming down the stretch in, in two big games, knowing the division is on the line, can he you know live up to those moments and, and lead that team? I know the defense is great, but Washington's fo- Washington football team's defense, in my opinion, is even better. And so... I don't think the gap between offenses is big enough. I'm going to rely on the Washington football team defense more than than the Giants defense personally. Yeah, I have Washington making the playoffs this season because of, like you said, not only their elite defense, but I think their offense with Alex Smith. They manage the game. They they get first downs. They keep the ball moving. They keep their defense off the field for a little while. You know, and I think I believe in this coaching staff, Ron Rivera, Scott Turner, Jack Del Rio. I really like this coaching staff. Last season in in Carolina, when Scott Turner was named the offensive coordinator, the interim coordinator for a while, I think he did pretty good. I I thought he did a pretty good job. He brought that to Washington. I think their offense is is pretty good. 
he he puts Dwayne Haskins in position to succeed, which is not that which is not easy because Dwayne Haskins he's very prone to make mistakes. I mean, last, I mean against Seattle this past game, one interception was tipped up and he got intercepted. I, you know, I, I I won't say that wasn't his I, I won't say that was his fault. But then he threw another one that was like into double coverage, and it was a really bad interception. I think it was to Reed. So you know, I. <laughs> If Dwayne Haskins plays, I don't. It's really hard to pick them yeah. unless the Giants just stink the bed. So if Alex Smith does, I have them. And man, Washington, I think Antonio Gibson gets a lot of credit, and he should because he's phenomenal. But JD McKissick is phenomenal as well. Yeah. Like, this is a guy that I have McKissick in my fantasy team because I know that Antonio Gibson, like, I know that both of them kind of share the workload. Gibson is more. The, he's a running back. Sometimes he catches passes, but McKissick is that receiving back. While Gibson has been gone, McKissick, they slid him into that role to do basically everything, and he strived. He had a great game against the Seahawks, and they were in that game. They were in that game. If it wasn't for some mistakes that Dwayne Hass has made, they probably would have won that game. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Ron Rivera. I, I trust him a little bit more in the coaching department. That's not to take away from Joe Judge. It's just I think Joe Judge is more building what he wants there in New York than Ron Rivera has come in, and I feel like the tone is already set in Washington. Yep. Like they, They've been on track for a while where the Giants spent half the season trying to get the, the train back on the rails, and I feel like now they're starting to put it together. But I do trust Washington more coming down the stretch, and – also, just the schedule. If if you said it, if Washington wins one game and the Giants lose one game, that's it. The Giants had the Ravens coming up, and they've looked really good as of late. I know they struggled a little bit early on, but they've looked really good, and Lamar Jackson is going to give them all they can handle. And you look at the Washington football team, they got the Panthers coming up, who have not been impressive at all the past few weeks. So I think that this weekend is going to be a win for the Washington football team and a loss for the Gi- the Giants, and I think that's going to wrap up the division in Week 16. And I said it. When, when the Washington football team drafted Chase Young, I said now that they have Chase Young, they might triple their win total this upcoming season. They had three wins. They have six, so they doubled their win total. I don't think they'll triple it because that's not even mathematically possible. <laughs> but they lost to the Giants two times in a, in a one-score game they lost to the Lions in a game that the Lions looked like they were about to give away to Washington. So I think this team is a nine-win football team. And I've, I even said it earlier in the season, week one after they beat the Eagles, if Washington's offense can be decent, average, this team is making the playoffs and winning the division, no doubt about it. The only reason they're struggling to make the playoffs is because their offense is one of the worst in the NFL. Yeah, But if their offense was average – this team is a legit contender like because their defense is that good right now. Yeah, that defensive line has been an elite unit in all of football, and they've really kept them in this entire season. Chase Young has come in and been everything that he was expected to be, a generational talent, and he's going to be tearing up the league for a decade at least. Yeah, He's just so fun to watch. Like He transcends the game. Like, like it's just when you think about their defensive line, that is going to be the best defensive line in the NFL yeah. for a couple years until they have to pay those guys. Exactly, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Ryan Kerrigan, who's a free agent, who knows if he's going to come back. He's not even starting though. Chase Young, Matt Iadonis, who's on IR right now. When he comes back, they're going to be phenomenal. Montez Sweat, 
who had a tip pass and interception, and then Payne had an interception against Seattle. Like it's these an guys, of riches. yeah, like these guys are fast. They're young and they're awesome. Tim Settle, who should start on other teams, is very good too. I mean, I think Washington they have cap space going into next year, so I mean. Just get that offense rolling, and that team is is legit. I'm very excited to see what they do at quarterback because if they come in, if they bring in a legit quarterback, you have Terry McLaurin at receiver. They could maybe use one more receiver, and then you know Antonio Gibson has been great at the running back position this year. The offensive line has been terrible. Like they could really be a competitor next year, and and. and you know, not only the division, but I think they could go out and win a playoff game next year, depending on the moves that they make this offseason. But for this season, I'm going to say confidently the Washington football team will be the playoff team, which is great because I love the fact that the Washington football team name is going to go down in NFL history. I agree with that. And now we're going to go on to another team that is already basically clinched the playoffs. The New Orleans Saints, they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs 32 to 29. It was a close game. And one can say that they could have won the game if uh, this uh, linebacker, I forgot his name, I think Alex Anzamore, something like that, if he recovered the fumble, but it went out of the end zone and it became a safety. So this game was closer than just, I mean, it was very close. Drew Brees struggled in the first quarter. And I mean, when you're when in the first half to, the, to say, that, when your offense in the first half isn't going and the Chiefs are pretty much rolling, and your defense only gives up 14 points, I think that's something to be proud of. Yeah, like their, their defense played phenomenal. I feel like Trey Hendrickson was on every play pressuring of Patrick Mahomes. There was a play where they sandwiched Patrick Mahomes, and it looked like he got hurt. I was actually worried when that happened. But, I mean, I think the Saints, they are legit. I'm very confident in how far the Saints can go. I'm confident in this team and this group. For how they look now. My problem with the Saints, and it will always be my problem until they prove me wrong, is that I always put in a lot of stock into them. Last season, I believe, last season I said I think they're a Super Bowl sleeper. Two years ago, I thought they should be one of the favorites to make the Super Bowl. I've been saying the Saints should be making Super Bowl for like three to four years now. But something always happens. Yeah. Whether it's the Minnesota Miracle, the, the botch play call, the, the botch interference call against the Rams them losing to the Vikings last year in an upset. Something always happens, which is why this year I'm more hesitant to be really all in on the Saints than I usually would have. Yeah. I think you look at this game against the Chiefs on Sunday night. They, as much as they they did lose the game, they impressed me because Drew Brees came out, had the worst start to a game in his NFL career. I think it was 0 for 6. He had never started 0 for 6 in his NFL career. But then when he settled in, you saw Drew Brees just brings a totally different dynamic to the table for the Saints offense. They are a totally different team than they are with Taysom Hill out there because as much as Taysom Hill has been good, I guess, in his few starts, you know, he was better than I thought he would be. The offense just is not nearly as good with him. Alvin Kamara doesn't play nearly as good with him because teams are stacking the box. And Drew Brees really just brings a totally different dynamic. Losing Michael Thomas is definitely going to hurt them. I don't know. Is he going to can He's he gonna come be back, back in the, the playoffs? playoffs yeah. So that will be good to get him back for the playoffs, hopefully healthy, which is, I guess, the reason they benched him. You know, they know they have their spot pretty much locked up. Get him healthy and for the playoffs. they don't win without Thomas. Exactly. He, he brings, a, again, like I said with Breeze, a totally different dynamic to that offense. So, 
getting those two guys back and healthy, I think, was very important for this team. And like you said, the fact that they competed with a Chiefs team who they were firing on all cylinders, and early on, the Saints defense looked really good against the Chiefs. And of course, they did what the Chiefs do, and they put points up on the board. You're never going to stop them from doing that. They stayed in the game despite a terrible start from the offense, and the fact that it was a three-point game in the end is impressive for me. It was the most impressive loss that I've probably seen all season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this was this wasn't a bad loss, and like you said, Drew Brees is so much better in that offense because he's been in it for years. Yeah, he knows where everybody's going to be at. He knows who to pinpoint, who to target. He knows players' tendencies. And he's just a better quarterback. He's a future Hall of Famer. He's going to be one of the best of all time. He's broken records before. And he's he just goes through his reads and his progressions so much more fluidly than, than Taysom Hill does. Even though I think Taysom Hill brings a different dynamic to the offense, Yeah, I think you can still get what Taysom Hill brings to the table, even with Breeze out there, because you bring in Taysom Hill on packages anyway. Like, they, they ran a QB power, you know? So you're still going to bring in goal line formations – you can still bring in Taysom Hill, and now that there's tape on Taysom Hill actually completing passes, you have to be more wary about what they're going to do in what situation when Taysom Hill is out there. But, I mean, you look at this team, I think getting I think getting Quan Alexander really solidified that linebacker group. They're much faster now. Demario Davis is a Pro Bowl-level talent. I know people feel that he got snubbed. Trey Hendrickson, who is the perfect complement to Cameron Jordan so far, that's what people thought Marcus Davenport was going to be, yeah. but it ends up being Trey Hendrickson. He's having a phenomenal elite season, but I always go back to they look great in the regular season, but what can they do in the playoffs? See, I think I think they can go far. I think they can make the Super Bowl, but in this NFC, it's just so wide open. Or if the Saints face Tampa again, are they getting the Tampa they played earlier in the yeah. year, or are they getting a much more firing on all cylinders Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense and defense. You don't know what's going to happen because I will never doubt a Tom Brady-led team. I will never doubt them. I, I'm still picking the Bucs to make the Super Bowl, but I think the Saints are right there. And I think <laughs> if you're going off what they've shown, if you're going off what each NFC team has shown this season, the Saints should be the pick to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, in my eyes, the Saints and the Packers are the two best teams in the NFC based on what they've shown us. And then from there, all of the all of the rest of the NFC playoff teams are really competitive, but you just don't know, like you said, what team's gonna show up. Are the Bucks, you know, how they how they went and beat the Packers, is that the team that's gonna show up? The team that beat the Saints, is that the team that's gonna show up? Yeah. Or is it gonna be the the team that's lost them five games and been totally flat? You just don't know. And then you look at the Seahawks, their defense is starting to come together, but They've also put up performances like they did against the Giants where their offense just looks miserable, can get nothing going, and you don't know what you're going to get out of them. The Washington football team, their defense has been incredible, but can their offense provide enough to keep them in a game? So you know, I think that the Saints are the best bet on both sides of the ball right now in the NFC, right there with the Packers, but they are not by any means a lock like the Chiefs are. Like, in my opinion, the Chiefs are head and shoulders above everybody else. The Saints are just number one to me in a group of anybody that can be that team from the NFC. Yeah, I agree. A team that should be in that number one spot 
and nobody should have questions about them right now are the Pittsburgh Steelers. But as we know, it hasn't happened that way. They had they lost to the Bills. They lost to Washington. They lost to the Bengals, which was an embarrassing loss. Ryan Finley only threw for like 87 yards. I, I know it was less than 100, but they still lost. And people want to blame Big Ben, his reads, his quarterback play. He's old. He's washed. Big Ben has 30 touchdowns and nine interceptions on the season. I'm going to say this, and I said this yesterday. When are we going to look off of Ben, and when are we going to blame the play calling? And I had that thought yesterday. I said, wait, hold up. This play sucks. I was like, why would, who would, who called this play? And I said, maybe we're being too hard on Ben. Let me look up the um, Steelers offensive coordinator. I looked him up yesterday, and his name is Randy Fitchner. Fitchner. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But I was researching him. I looked at more tape. I looked at what people were saying about him, experts, analysts. And what I came away with is that this guy is going to cost the Steelers a chance to go to the Super Bowl because I think talent-wise, this is one of the best Steelers roster in a long time, and it's probably going to go to waste because this offense coordinator cannot make adjustments for anything, and his play calling is horrible. Yeah, and it just seems like it's always something with this offense coming down the stretch of the season, you know, Three weeks ago, it was they can't establish any running game. And then two weeks ago, it was, well, the wide receivers dropped seven passes. And then this past week, it was Big Ben was terrible. And all of those things might be true, but what is the one common theme with all of that? It's the play calling, the offensive play calling, and what goes into the offensive output. There is talent on that offense. There's no question about it. The receiving core has has been great. This well, they haven't been great this season. They're a great group of talent. Juju, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool. Like there is more than enough. Even Ray Ray McLeod. Like they have a great crop of talent offensively. James Conner running back, and even Benny Snell has come in and been very good. And Ben Roethlisberger has come in off of Tommy John surgery and really looked like the guy that he was prior to the injury. So there's no excuse on on talent. And I understand the injury bug has bit them pretty hard, and the offensive line hasn't been great, but you got to eventually look at the play call. There's no reason that Juju Smith-Schuster should be having as poor of a season as he's having, mm-hmm. especially after what he did in his career leading up to this season. Like he's a he's a top-tier wide receiver. He's a he's a potentially number 1 wide receiver you know, talent. I I think Chase Claypool is that the best wide receiver on the Steelers. And I was just going to say Chase yeah. Claypool has come in and had the rookie year that he's had he, in a crucial fourth down yesterday. He wasn't even on the field. I think he might have been hurt from the play before because of the pass interference. It should have been pass interference the play before. I think somebody like the defender fell on his leg a little bit, Darius Phillips. So I don't know if he was injured. I don't know if, you know, I'm not sure, but not going off of speculation, going off of like what really happened yesterday. I mean, earlier in the game, the Bengals give you single high safety looks and you continuously line up Chase Claypool to be grouped up with another receiver on one side of the field instead of isolating him. The Bengals were playing straight up man. Like and you and you don't and instead you isolate Deontay Johnson on crucial third downs and not Claypool, which I'm happy about because if Claypool would have had one more catch, I would have lost my fantasy playoff game. So I was I, yo, I was biting my nails <laughs> like oh my gosh. But okay. Then what really bothered me the most was how they ended up how they ended off the game. They have two minutes left. I believe a timeout. 
you don't have to just take deep shots. Randy Fishner called this game like they needed a touchdown on that play. There were only 15 seconds left on the clock. You call three straight plays, which are deep shots down the field. When you all you need is 10 yards. You don't need that much. Like, I just think the Steelers defense is so elite this season, and they have a great group of offensive talent. And it's a shame that it's probably going to go to waste because this guy can't make adjustments. You look in twenty in 2019, I mean, in 2018, he was the offense coordinator. They were fourth in yards and sixth in points that year. 2019, last year, they were 30th in yards, 27th in points. This year, they're 25th in yards and 13th in points only because the defense puts them in such a great position to score those points. But, I mean, the past two years, this guy has been awful. Outside of 2018, he's been awful. And I just think something needs to be done. I mean, you cannot go into the playoffs with this guy still being your offensive coordinator or else you're going to lose. You're not going to go as far as you want to. I think if the time is to fire somebody, it's now. We, we've seen kind of the opposite thing happen in, 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 a, in, a, in Seattle. Kenny Norton Jr., yeah. he was really bad, abysmal. But Seattle has picked it, up, picked it up. He's adjusted. They've communicated better. Now their defense is okay. But Steelers, you have the opposite effect. They look great, and now everything is falling apart. And we all know when it comes to the playoffs and teams making a run, the teams that go the farthest are the ones that get hot late. And if you're a team that get that, that starts hot early but you slow down and cool down late, you're probably not going to go that far unless something drastic happens. This is a time for the Steelers to make something drastic, to make a drastic move so this team has a chance. Yeah, and I said it before, there's – Teams that go undefeated to a certain point in the season take their first loss or you know maybe even two losses and there's signs that you say, okay, we need to fix this before we get to the playoffs. The Steelers right now are well beyond that. They have ran through the stop sign. They've ran through the red light. These are like serious glaring red flags that will cost you playoff football games and they have two weeks to figure it out. And like you said, if there's any time to fire somebody, it's right now because this is not a one-week thing. It's not a three-week thing. It's been an all-season discussion, and now it's coming to a head at the worst possible time. You have the talent on that offense to be at least good enough to complement an elite defense, but they have not been able to do that against, you know, I, I could have seen it coming against the Washington football team. They have a really good defense. They can get somebody on any given week. You know, we've seen how good they can be. Then the Ravens, you know, yeah, the Ravens, that's a good football team you lose to, but then it comes to the Bengals, and that's an inexcusable loss. Yeah, something needs to change. Even Washington, that. I think. Yeah. Even Washington. Some, something has to change, especially three in a row. You're skidding. Question marks are coming in from all over the place. You know, you have people questioning Juju and his TikToks, whatever. You know, something has to change, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's not even firing him. Maybe it's just retooling that offense, having somebody else call the offensive plays, but something has to change because they cannot run this team the way they've been playing out into the playoffs and win playoff games. I mean, he's been with the Steelers since 2007. He's only been the OC for three seasons. Before that, he was a quarterback's coach for a plethora of years. So, I mean, this guy has been in the Steelers organization for a while, so I doubt they do fire him. So maybe the best scenario is having somebody else call plays or maybe he adjusts and gets it together. But one thing certain is that something has to change or else the Steelers are not going to be where they want to be when it's all said and done. Yeah, they, they're they in trouble. And they are, I, I do not feel good at all about them going into the playoffs. 
this was a last minute topic that we added in the Pro Bowl. Who got snubbed from the Pro Bowl? So as we all know, the official Pro Bowl rosters came out. And before we talk about who got snubbed from the Pro Bowl, we're going to list the t- who made it. So in the AFC, it was Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen, A.J. Brown, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, Patrick Richard, Laramie Tunsil, Eric Fisher, Orlando Brown, Quentin Nelson, Joel Bitionio, David DeCastro, Marquise Pouncey, Ryan Kelly, Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Cameron Hayward, Calais Campbell, TJ Watt, Bradley Chubb, Matt Houdon, Darius Leonard, Tremaine Edmonds, Xavier Howard, Trey White, Marlon Humphrey, Stephon Gilmore, Minka Fitzpatrick, Justin Simmons, Tyron Matthew, Jake Bailey, Justin Tucker, Andre Roberts, and Matthew Slater. That was for the AFC. Now for the a- for the NFC, it was Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, DK Metcalf, Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, Evan Ingram, Kyle Juszczyk, David Bakhtiari, Trent Williams, Teron Armstead, Brandon Scherf, Elton Jenkins, Andres Pete, Jason Kelty, Frank Ragno, Cameron Jordan, Brandon Graham, Chase Young, Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, Grady Jarrett, Khalil Max, Darius Smith, Jason Pierre-Paul, Bobby Wagner, Fred Warner, Jalen Ramsey, Jari Alexander, Marshawn Lattimore, James Bradbury, Quadre Diggs, Buda Baker, Jamal Adams, Jack Fox, Young Ho Koo, Coradell Patterson, and Nick Bellore. Of course, a long list, like a great, a <laughs> lot of roster, a lot of people. So who do you think was a Pro Bowl snub from the AFC and the NFC? Well, let me start with the AFC. I just want to get this out of the way because you call it homerism, but there are two guys on the Jets that should have been Pro Bowlers, Mekhi Becton and, more importantly, Quinnen Williams. Quinnen Williams just got straight-up disrespected. I mean, the numbers that he has put up this season, he is far and away a Pro Bowler. I understand both of those guys have dealt with injuries, but if you put them on any team that's not the Jets, they easily make the Pro Bowl roster, but... In the NFC, I think this guy was the biggest snub out of anybody in the entire league. Trey Hendrickson. It's the guy we were talking about before. He leads the NFL in sacks on one of the best teams in football, one of the best defenses in football. You know, and and, and the numbers are just crazy. He between the sacks, the disruptions, the turnovers caused, the hurries, you know, he is having an incredible year. So for him to not make the Pro Bowl, you know, you just have to wonder what's going into the decision. Look, for the AFC, I'm going to call homerism, but not because not for anybody on the Jets because this guy is near and dear to my heart. I said he was a franchise quarterback last year. I got laughed at. I've always loved Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill was snubbed. And, and when I look into what goes into Pro Bowl voting, what goes into it? Do we value winning? Is that why Nick Chubb made it over James Robinson? Even though Robinson, I, I, you can say, had a better around season statistically, if we value winning, then why is Deshaun Watson over Ryan Tannehill? Ryan Tannehill has 3,482 yards, 31 touchdowns, five interceptions, 110.4 quarterback rating. Deshaun Watson has 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, six interceptions, 110.6 quarterback rating. Yes, 
Watson deserves to be in the Pro Bowl. He's phenomenal. We know that. But Ryan Tannehill is having a better season, and his team is winning and in firm position to win the division that Watson plays in. So what goes into Pro Bowl voting? Is it is it winning? Because if it's winning, then Tannehill, if, if you take winning and production, Tannehill should be the surefire Pro Bowl pick. And then you look at, like, I just think that the Pro Bowl at this point is a popularity contest. 100%. That's all it is, which is why I don't take some of these seriously. You look at the NFC, Trey Hendrickson, he's a big snub. And I'm not even going to mention him because you already said it, but Robert Tunyon or Logan Thomas, Evan Ingram, <laughs> e- e- Evan Ingram, Evan Ingram had 572 yards receiving this year. One touchdown on 95 targets and nine drops. Robert Tunyon had 551 yards, so only 20 less yards. Nine more touchdowns. He had 10 touchdowns on 55 targets and zero drops. Even if it wasn't Tunyon, let's say, okay, Tunyon is out. Who else in the NFC was more deserving at tight end? Logan Thomas on Washington. He has 557, 570 yards, five touchdowns, 92 targets, and four drops. So, of course, out of this group of guys, Robert Tunyon should have made the Pro Bowl. The fact that Evan Ingram made it over Tunyon and even Logan Thomas is ridiculous. Evan Ingram is known as a guy who has dropped game-winning passes and game-sealing passes. He's known as a guy who drops a lot of footballs. He, he's not known as being this elite guy. He's known as having elite attributes that can one day turn into something, but at this point, he's not a Pro Bowl-level player. Yeah, and, and the funniest thing about it is you mentioned it's a popularity contest. How about the guy I mentioned, Trey Hendrickson? His teammate, Cam Jordan, made the Pro Bowl. How about these stats? Sacks. Hendrickson has 12.5, Cam Jordan has 6.5. Disruptions, Hendrickson has 54, Cam Jordan has 38. Pressure percentage, 16 for Hendrickson, 8.1 for Cam Jordan. Turnovers created by pressure, Hendrickson has 2, Cam Jordan has 1. Hurries, 35 for Hendrickson, 20 for Cam Jordan. So, like, it's clearly, it's just who are the bigger names. And And most of the time that works because you look at the roster, and I think 75 to 80% of it, is what it should be, but then there's 20% of the league that are not as well-known guys that have great seasons that get screwed because it's just one-third of it is voted on by the fans and the other two-thirds are voted on by the coaches and players who don't really take it seriously. So, you know, it's unfortunate. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that the coaches and, and players voted. I thought it was just the fans. Yeah, it, one-third of the voting is the fan vote. And, and that is where a lot of the popularity contest comes in. But then two-thirds of it is the, the players and coaches. But we've seen, I mean, I remember when we were talking about the NBA All-Star game last season where the players and coaches have a say, some of the votes for that were just ridiculous. These players and coaches don't really care at the end of the day about their vote. But the problem is they care about making it. I saw a video of Bradley Chubb speaking about making it, and he was you know, all teared up, crying, especially after what happened to him last season, missing the year and then coming back and earning his spot this year. This means a lot to these guys, and you're talking yeah. about Pro Bowl bonuses. Like A lot goes into this, and I just feel like people don't take it seriously, and it leads to guys like we talked about missing these rosters. Yeah, I, don't think there's, I think the NBA All-Star voting is, is way better than the NFL's Pro Bowl voting. I'm just going to put that out there. But, yeah, I mean, the fans, if you allow fans to vote on it, it's a popularity contest. If you allow the players and coaches, that's who should have, like, their votes should matter the most. But if they're not taking it seriously, 
then what's the solution? How do guys that deserve to be in it are actually in it? I mean, you look at some of the snubs. Zach Cunningham from Houston. He leads the league in tackles. He didn't make it. Devin White. Bobby Wagner made it over him, and Bobby Wagner is more, his name is more, um, yeah. you know, it's known. He's, he's, he's a legend. Yeah. He's a legendary linebacker. But, but in terms of having a better season, Devin White has had a better season, arguably. Wyatt Teller, one of the best graded offensive linemen in the NFL, missed it. James Robinson, Quentin Williams, who has better stats than Calais Campbell this season. Calvin Ridley missed it, and Shaq Barrett missed it. So these are some notable guys that missed it. At this point, I don't think anybody takes the Pro Bowl seriously, but what sucks is that at the end of these guys' careers, that's how we measure how, how better a player was. And, and there's really not many other judges of, you know, the NBA, we could look at all pro teams because they have three all-pro teams, or all, all NBA teams, I should say. They have three all-NBA teams, and it's really like if you don't make the three all-NBA teams – you know, there's a good opportunity for you to make an All NBA team, and that is a much more inclusive, you know, a uh, uh, more group. telling group, you know, I- idea on what that player did that season. For the NFL, you know, there's All Pros, but it's very tough to make an All Pro team, and there's going to be guys snubbed. Like there is so many more players in the NFL that there will be guys snubbed from an All Pro team that definitely deserve that recognition. And it's so much there's harder. no other way to give it to them. And it's so much harder to make the Hall of Fame in the NFL. 100%. Like it's, it's, it's really difficult. The NBA, you could do anything related to basketball, you're in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. In the NFL, if you're not a guy who's made seven All-Pros, you're not getting in the Hall of Fame. Like If you're not a guy who's been like the best of the best, for like you're not making it. It's yeah. just extremely difficult to make it. Yeah, and, and I think that this year was probably the most egregious year that I could remember in my time really following the NFL on snubs and guys who missed it that really should have made Mm -hmm. it. So the next topic we're going to have is we're going to finish off the show with these two NFL pick on week 16 or daily pick We're nearing closer to the end. I mean, pick them week 16, then 17. Then we have the wild card pick divisional rounds, conference championships and the Super Bowl, of course, so, okay, we're going to do week 16. First game, Vikings versus Saints. It's on a Friday, on a Christmas. Who wins this game? I'm going with the Saints. I feel like the Vikings have just been so inconsistent. Like, they can look really good, but then sometimes they just put up a total stinker performance. And against the Saints, you just can't have that. I think this will be a nice bounce back for the Saints. Drew Brees, hopefully, another chance to, to gear up towards that playoff run. And Sean Payton is going to be foot on the gas pedal. So there's no room for the Vikings to have that inconsistency. Yeah, and I'm guessing that the, the NFL was hoping this game would have been more hype because of the yeah. playoff matchup last year, but it hasn't been the case because the Vikings haven't been very good. I got the Saints, too. I think they're an elite team. The Vikings still struggle. Even though Dantzler's one of the highest-rated cornerbacks, and he's a rookie now, he's playing really well, I still don't think it's enough. I think the Saints win this game pretty easily. Next game, Buccaneers versus Lions. I got the Bucks. Yeah, same thing yeah. I said about the Saints gearing up for the playoff run. If there's any time for the Bucks to kick it into gear, look for it to be now a chance to absolutely bully a team in the Lions who, although I think they've been a little better since the firing of Matt Patricia, they're still just not a good football team, not on the level that the Bucks are at. And expect Tom Brady to have this team ha- have his ducks in a row this weekend and moving forward with the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree. Next game, 49ers versus the Cardinals. The Cardinals are making the playoff run. The 49ers, 
And recent weeks have looked really flat on offense. As brilliant as Kyle Shanahan is, it's looked really bad. And I think that, I mean, the Cowboys lit them up on offense. Their defense is getting torched. I think the Cardinals win this game, and they clinch that playoff spot that they need to. Yeah, I agree. I think the fact that the 49ers have been eliminated, they're kind of thrown in the white flag on this season. And the way that the Cardinals came out and performed against the Eagles last week, and I just think they're going to build off that. Kyler's going to have a great week, and the Cardinals win. Next game, Dolphins versus Raiders. Tua versus Mariota. Everybody in Hawaii is going to be tuning into this game. Look, I got the Raiders in this game. And I got the Raiders in this game because I think that Derek Carr gets cut after this season. But in order for that to happen, Mariota has to have these great performances that have John Gruden feeling comfortable enough to move off from Derek Carr. And I think this performance is going to be one of them. I think they're going to have a great game plan against the Dolphins. Mariota is going to play great. And I see I see the Raiders beating the Dolphins in this game. I don't have the confidence in the Raiders' offense that you do. I think that Dolphins' defense is going to bring too much pressure. And I just I, I don't think the Dolphins' offense is going to have to do too much in this one. As I do like Marcus Mariota, though, so I'm rooting for him to succeed. But I'm going Dolphins. Next game, Giants versus Ravens. I got the Ravens in this game. They need a win to, to hopefully get into the playoffs. And look, I think that they're going to dominate the Giants. The Giants have a great defense, but I think the Ravens are starting to figure it out right now. Yeah, how about how the Ravens have looked the last few weeks coming off a win against the Steelers and then a blowout against the Jaguars, which was expected. They lost to the Steelers. I'm sorry, yeah. but it was, a, it was a good loss to the Steelers. And then, uh, you know, that, that huge <laughs> win last week. threw me through a loop with that. But that good loss to the Steelers and then a blowout last week. They're really starting to put it together, coming down the home stretch here. And like you said, needing a win. I don't see the Giants making the playoffs, and I think this is going to be the loss that keeps them out. The Ravens beat the Browns. That's what they beat. That's what I meant. So next game, Falcons versus Chiefs. I get this easy for me. I got the Kansas City Chiefs winning this one easily. Yeah, I'm going Chiefs too. And the Falcons have looked better too. But And I give them credit because they've been solid, but yeah. the Chiefs are just They blew another level. lead to Tampa Bay. They should have won that game. Get a good coach in there. That's not a not that bad of a situation, honestly. Next game, the Panthers versus Washington. I got Washington in this one. I think they need this game to clinch that playoff spot. And the Panthers aren't. They've really looked. They've really toned it down offensively. They don't look as good. Their defense is one of the worst third down defenses historically. So I think Washington wins this game, and then they clinch their spot to win the NFC East. Yeah, I'm also going with Washington in this one. The Panthers have just looked so flat the past few weeks, and I think that Washington is really starting to put it together. Alex Smith gets back healthy, and they know they need this one. And with a chance to clinch, I think this is going to be the weekend. Next game, the Browns versus Jets. The Jets cost themselves Trevor Lawrence, and I think they'll cost themselves this game as well. The (laughs) Browns are going to win this game easily. Meaningless loss, honestly, because if the Jets don't end up getting Trevor Lawrence, then at least win games, at least go three and thirteen and not one and fifteen. But whatever. You know, I, I think the Browns win this game. The running game is, is gonna be too good. Baker Mayfield has been an assassin in terms of his accuracy. He's pinpoint on mostly every throw. They're gonna win this game easily. Yeah, for many of the same reasons I'm going with the Browns. Baker has been terrific and that running attack is just so dynamic that I don't see the Jets defense stopping them. And, you know, you look at the Rams this past weekend who the Jets beat. 
I don't trust their def- their offense nearly as much as I trust the Browns' offense the way they've been playing. So I, I feel confident saying the Browns are going to win this weekend. Next game, Bears versus Jaguars. I got the Bears in this one. I know you want to say the Jags, but look, I got the Bears in this one. They're playing for some really good football. Mitchell Trubisky's playing out of his mind right now. He's he's balling. And Jaguars, I just don't think they have the team to compete with their defense. Yeah, it's it's probably wishful thinking to say the Jaguars. You know, I'm going to be rooting for them hard, and you never know. Gardner Mitchell gets out there. I think they have a chance. I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means, but you said it. Mitch Trubisky is, looks solid, and the Bears seem to be putting it together. They have a really nice defensive unit, so I'm going to say Bears, but I'm hoping Jaguars. Yeah, me too. Next game, Bengals versus Texans. This might be a tougher game to pick since the Bengals beat the Steelers, but I'm still going to say the Texans win this game because of Deshaun Watson. Think I think he's an elite quarterback in the NFL. I think that the Bengals, that game was kind of just like kind of like a fluke game. I don't think Ryan Finley, he, he might play fantastic against the Texans because they're just that bad defensively. But I think Deshaun Watson gets this win for the Texans. Yeah, that Bengals win against the Steelers came pretty much because the Steelers couldn't move the ball down the field, and I don't think Deshaun Watson is going to have any problem doing that. He hasn't had a problem doing it all season long, and they've lost a couple of heartbreakers the last few weeks against very good teams. So I think that Deshaun Watson is going to come out, tear this Bengals defense apart. I'm going Texans. Next game, Colts versus Steelers. Based on how the, how the Steelers have been looking, I, I think the Colts win this game easily. Their offense is starting to click. Phillip Rivers hasn't thrown an interception in, I think, two or three games. He's clicking. Their offense is healthy. Their defense is still one of the best in the NFL. I think they beat the Steelers. Yeah, same here. I'm also going with the Colts. I think they started the season off a little shaky, but they're really starting to find some consistently. I love the way they've looked the past few weeks. That defense is a solid unit, and they made big plays down the stretch last week. And I just trust Phillip Rivers and that Colts offense more than I do the Steelers the way they've looked. The next game, Broncos versus Chargers. I got the Chargers in this one. I think Justin Herbert has a very good performance. And like we said earlier, I think he cracks that over 30 touchdowns mark or 30 touchdowns flat this game. Yeah, I'm also going with the Chargers. Drew Locke has been so inconsistent. And as bad as that as bad as that Chargers defense is, I just can't trust Drew Locke to duel it out with Justin Herbert, who's been so good. So I, I'm going to go with the Chargers in this one in a high-scoring affair. Next game, the Eagles versus the Cowboys. I have the Eagles in this one. Jalen Hurts is playing phenomenal. The Cowboys have looked better, but I think the Eagles have found life with Jalen Hurts starting at quarterback, and he gets his second win as a starter for them. I agree. I'm also going with the Eagles. I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a field day. That Cowboys defense has been so bad all year long. And even against a better defensive unit, well, two really good defensive units in the Cardinals and the Saints, you know, he looked impressive. So against this Cowboys defense, I think he's going to look even better. And I think the Eagles are going to win it. Next game, Rams versus Seahawks. This is game might decide a division right here. And I look, I think I'm picking the Seahawks. The Rams embarrassing loss against the Jets. There's a chance that they come out and they 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 really prove all the doubters wrong because they after that embarrassing loss they come out and they show up the Seahawks. But I think the Seahawks are starting to click. Their defense is getting better. They're communicating. Russell Wilson is the MVP he is. And you just can't trust Jared Goff. Yeah, I flip flop back and forth on this one a couple of times because I, I do want to 
think that the Rams are going to pick themselves back up after a miserable loss, but Pete Carroll is just a mastermind. He has that team playing great football. You said it, the defense is starting to come around, get those pieces healthy, and they actually, after a really bad lull in the season, including that loss to the Giants, I feel like is where it culminated. Now, with that division win, the momentum from that, I think they're just going to keep riding it all the way into the playoffs, so I'm going Seahawks. Yeah, now this next game is my game of the week, Titans versus Packers. This is going to be a great game, and I have the Titans winning this game. The Packers' biggest weakness is stopping the run. The Titans' biggest strength is running the ball. I think Derrick Henry is going to have a great game. I wouldn't even rule it out, him having 200 yards rushing this game. He's going to be dominant this game. Yeah, I actually went with the Packers in this game. This was my toughest game to pick of of the entire slate. I think it's going to come down to who has a bigger day, Derrick Henry running the football, which is a pretty good bet, or Aaron Rodgers throwing the football. I think last week they had a little bit of a slow week. Him and Devontae Parker was the first time Devontae Parker, or not Devontae Parker, Devontae Adams hadn't scored in, I think, eight weeks. So I I think they get back on track this week. I think Devontae Adams has a big game, and the Packers win. So the final game of the week, Bills versus Patriots. I got the Bills in this one, and I think they'll go 12-3. and I also got the Bills. The Patriots just have looked kind of flat. As good as that defense is, Cam Newton has struggled to finish out the season. I'm going Bills. Yeah, so that's going to do it for our NFL Pick'em Week 16s. Comment which game you are most excited for this week, and who are your picks for this week? So now we're going into our final segment of the episode, Power Rankings Week 16. It was a long episode, but okay, I'll start off first. My 10th ranked team in the NFL right now is the Indianapolis Colts. I think... They look impressive. Their offense is getting healthy. Phillip Rivers hasn't thrown an interception in two to three games. Their defense is getting healthy for his Buckners coming back. So, look, I think they are the 10th best ranked team in the NFL, and they can be higher. They can be higher for me. I just want to start by saying this list was very difficult for me to make, especially when I got into, like, the 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 range, and there are two to three teams that I left off that I really – would also like to give some love to, but you know, th- this was very difficult, especially when it got towards the tail end. But I have the Bucks at ten. I think that they have a higher ceiling than probably three to five teams ahead of them, especially come playoff time. But just based on what I've seen, I have the Bucks at ten right now. But again, come playoff time, I think that they're a better team. I, I would rather bet on them come playoff time than a couple teams I have ahead of them. You know. I'll just say this, spoiler alert, I don't have the Steelers at my top 10. Neither do I. I don't have the Steelers at my top 10. The Steelers, I debated on putting a 10, but I, if it wasn't for the Bengals loss, the, the, the other two losses I can excuse because I really am high on the Washington football team defense, and I think the Bills are a Super Bowl contender, but the Bengals loss without Joe Burrow is just inexcusable. Yep. So my ninth-ranked team is the Miami Dolphins. I think it was an impressive win over the Patriots, especially thinking about the receivers that they had out there. Mike Gesicki was out. Parker was out. Preston Williams, Grant, they were all out. I think Ahmed has really proven when he's healthy he can be that lead running back for the Dolphins. Matt Breida looked really impressive. And I think that once the Dolphins get healthy, their defense is already already elite. They deserve to be in a top 10 list. They are that good. They are a complete football team. And Tua is playing mistake-free which always helps them out. Yeah, I also have the Dolphins at nine, 
when you look at it, at the team that we've been talking about all season long, the Pittsburgh Steelers, why do we talk about them so much? Because they have an elite defense. Well, I'll tell you what, the Dolphins have an elite defense too. And you know what they do offensively? They don't do too much. They have Tua, who's going to make the smart play. They have a really nice offensive system that they've been running. And I trust them offensively more than I do the Steelers right now. So, you know, I feel much better putting them in my top 10 than the Steelers, especially after the last three weeks. Exactly. Next team, I have the eighth-ranked team in the NFL for me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That comeback win against the Falcons was impressive to me. They showed resilience. And when they get clicking, that's how they are. They're dominant like that. And I think right now they're going to start to get click. They're going to start getting, they're going to start to get clicking now, if that even makes sense. <laughs> I just, I'm just so high on the Buccaneers and it, it, I'm ashamed that I have to put them so low on my list because I know this is a regular season list, but I mean, man, Tampa Bay, their ceiling is Super Bowl, yeah. And I think now they're at eight only because of losses to like the saints and the record went against 500 teams. But look, I think the Rams still have all around one of the best rosters in the, in the NFL. I, I agree with you, and I think the, the Bucks' ceiling is Super Bowl, no doubt. I have, the I believe you had the Colts at 10. I had the Colts at 8, so we had the mm-hmm. Colts and Bucks flip-flopped. But I have the Colts at 8. I just think they've been firing on all cylinders the past few weeks. They're really starting to put it together. And although I don't feel great about that offensive unit, I really like the defense. And they've impressed me over the past couple of weeks, so I've rewarded them at 8. So my seventh-ranked team is the Tennessee Titans. Tannehill, five-touchdown game. Derrick Henry was phenomenal. Look, I, th- I think the Titans are one of the better teams in the NFL. All they have to do is figure out that defense, but their offense led by Tannehill and Derrick Henry is always fun to watch. And I think if that run game is going, Tannehill's going, that defense is playing well, they can beat any team in football. Yeah, I went with the Seahawks at seven. They actually, you know, I I know I've missed three weeks, but they took a long hiatus off of my top 10 list, and they went through a big lull in the season, but they have come back in a big way. That offense is starting to look like itself again, even though, you know, it's kind of shifted. It was more DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson to start the season, but it's become a much more balanced act, and I think that's very important moving into the playoffs because that's much more sustainable than just a one-man show offensively. So I feel good about that, and the defense is really starting to come around. Jamal Adams is making his impact known, and they're not getting shredded up like they were earlier in the season. So if there's any time to put it together, it's now. They're doing it. Pete Carroll doing a great job, as always. So I have them at seven. So the next team, my sixth-ranked team, is the Cleveland Browns. They had a good loss against the Ravens and a good win against the Giants. You know, it's a shame that teams only get credit when they play on primetime, but that's what it's come to. And the Rams got the credit against the Ravens. Now they put the league on notice. Baker Mayfield is playing phenomenal. He's accurate. He's playing turnover-free football. And that running game is really good. Their defense is also playing better as well. So the Rams are definitely deserving of the sixth spot in my power rankings list. I also went with the Browns. I've been very impressed with them. And they were a team that, kind of like the Bills, I was shaking on earlier in the season because I just didn't know what they were. I didn't know what their identity was, and Baker Mayfield was so streaky to start the year. But it seems like, ironically enough, ever since that Odell Beckham injury, they've started to get more consistent. And I don't even think it's as I don't think it's anything Odell did. I just feel like when he was on the field, Baker Mayfield tried to force the ball to him in times that he wasn't open. 
And, and it's not like a Baker Mayfield thing or an Odell thing. It's something that happens when you have a star receiver, but it just wasn't the perfect romance. And now that that offense is flowing so much better. You know, everything is moving easier. The run game is opened up more. Jarvis Landry is playing better. And all of those receivers have looked better. David Njoku's looked better at the tight end spot. Austin Hooper. So they've, they've looked really well over the past few weeks. That defense is turning into a formidable unit. And Kevin Stefanski is doing a great job there. So I have them at six. So my fifth-ranked team is the Seattle Seahawks. I know you have them at seven, but I'm really high on the Seahawks. Their defense is turning a corner. Their defense is starting to play really good football. Jamal Adams got the Pro Bowl nod. I know you were really – you didn't give him credit early on this season. I said, hey, man, relax. The, Jamal Adams is still my president. I still salute to him every morning. He's the press. And Jamal Adams, Bobby Wagner, Carlos Dunlap are turning around this Seahawks defense – and we know their offense with Russell Wilson is one of the best in the NFL. They're my fifth-ranked team in the NFL right now. Funnily enough, another flip-flop that we have, I have the Titans at five. So you had them at seven, I had the Seahawks, and now you have the Seahawks at five. I have the Titans at five. And honestly, like speaking quite frankly, the one person that has them here in my ranking is Derrick Henry. He just is seemingly unstoppable late in the season, and you know, he looked good earlier on in the year, but he didn't look this good. He he actually looks unstoppable right now. And you pair that with Ryan Tannehill, who has been, I think, a Pro Bowl-level quarterback this season. Corey Davis is playing great. A.J. Brown is playing great. That line has been really good. And that defense is starting to get better and better every week, it seems. So I feel really good about the Titans coming into this playoff time, and I don't see why they can't make a run like they did last year. Yeah, my fourth-ranked team is the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers playing at an MVP level. They're only this high because of Rodgers. Their defense hasn't looked very good. It was kind of a bad win against the Panthers. They looked flat throughout the game. The Panthers almost came back and beat them. I mean, look, their their defense isn't that good. They only have really one receiver. Aaron Jones is good. We know that. But they're only this high because of Aaron Rodgers. Wherever he goes, the Packers goes. If he plays bad, the Packers have no chance. If he plays good, even if they're facing a good team, they probably have no chance. But... You know, I think just because of Rodgers and their regular season, they are the fourth-ranked team to me. At four, I have the Saints. They could definitely be higher. I, you know, it's tough because if they had Drew Brees the past three weeks, they would not be this low. And I feel bad docking Drew Brees, a Drew Brees-led Saints for the past three weeks. But I just, I I, want to see them get back on track with Drew Brees, a quarterback. I think that, you know, they are a Super Bowl contender for sure, but I have them at four just because I want to see them get that consistency back and get a little healthy first. Yes, yeah, so the, my third-ranked team is the New Orleans Saints, another flip-flop that we have. I think the Saints have an elite roster. They've been injured all year. Michael Thomas is even out, but their roster is still elite. And to the, to the Chiefs, they lost, but they only lost about 30 points. I mean, it wasn't a bad loss. If Michael Thomas was there, you're, you're wondering if they would have beat them. So I think the Saints have this number three spot. They could be higher, but I just want to give my number two team a lot of credit, which is why I have the Saints at three. Yeah, and can you guess who I have at three? The Green Bay Packers. And, and like you said, it's it's Aaron Rodgers. And when I look at the Packers, the reason I had them so high is because 
When we talk about the Chiefs, the biggest conversation is who can keep up with them offensively. I think the Packers are the closest team in the league offensively to keep up with them, at least from what they've shown us this season. Devontae Adams has been the best receiver in the league, and he's really becoming, you know, beyond this season, like when I'm talking just wide receivers in general, he wasn't in my top five coming into the season. He was on the outside looking in. He's crept into top three conversations. So he's having an incredible year. Aaron Jones, we see what he's been able to do. And Aaron Rodgers having the best season of his career. So I have them at three. But that defense has got to be better. Yeah, my second-ranked team is the Buffalo Bills. First division title since 1995. Josh Allen playing at an MVP level. Their offense is great. Their defense is playing really better. They're solid. I think they deserve this number two ranking, especially for the expectations that they've exceeded this season. I mean, look, they 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 dominated the Broncos. Josh Allen had a MVP performance against them, and they, they deserve this number two ranking. So I'm going to give them respect and credit that a lot of people won't really give them. I think the Bills are the second-best team in football right now. I also had the Bills at two, and you know you pretty much said it all. I think when you talk about this this team, they are one of the most balanced fo- teams in all of football. That defense has been, you know, it, it hasn't been as good as it was last year, but it's been a very good unit, and that offense is so high-powered. Like I said, one of the only teams in the AFC that can hang with the Chiefs, and that's why I, I feel confident about them come playoff time. Josh Allen's been an MVP candidate. Everything he needed to be, for this team to be in the race at this point in the season, and they deserve this number two spot. So my number one team, to nobody's surprise, is the Kansas City Chiefs. Look, they're Patrick Mahomes, a great defense, great offense, weapons all around. They've been my number one team for the past few weeks. They're, they really... There's no explanation for this. Everybody knows that they're the best. Yeah, I'm pretty sure every week that we've done power rankings, I've had the Chiefs at number one. So if you want mm-hmm. the explanation, you could go back to all of those videos, but I'll say it again. Until somebody proves to me otherwise, the Chiefs are head and shoulders above the rest of the league because I don't even think they're playing their best right now on a consistent basis, and they are just blowing teams away. And even when they get in close games and they seem like they're in trouble, they never are. It's the craziest thing. You can you can get them down by two or three touchdowns, and they always seem to find a way back in it. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL right now. That offense is ridiculous. Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill have been two of the best offensive players in the league this year, and they're in the same offense. And so for them to be paired with that good of a defense, it's just unfair. Yep, and that's going to do it for NFL Power Rankings Week 16. So guys, if you're watching, comment down your top 10 list in the NFL and your reasons why if you even want to get in depth to that. But thank you guys for watching our Power Rankings This is going to do it for this episode, two hours and 20 minutes, long episode, but it was a great one. I enjoy talking about these topics with you, Jack. Great episode as always. Glad to have you back on here. And I know know you're giddy to get up out your chair and watch the the Brooklyn Nets, which is why I was laughing so much. But okay, man. I mean, we're not going to take in callers this episode just because the Nets are playing in a few. So That's very considerate. I appreciate it. We won't take in callers. So if you guys are watching this far... Thank you guys for watching this far. As always, we appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time.